Zoo 1, Zoo 30. It's not like it's... Zoo 1, we have a situation starting over here. We're not exactly sure what the timing is, but I've gone ahead and barricaded the service road starting at the intersection behind Asian Rhino all the way to the uh, east side of Otter, just to make sure. Um, it does seem that she has started early labor. Okay. Welcome back to Wiseman Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Glennis. I'm here with my co-host, Arlen Golden. How are you doing, Arlen? Hey, Sean. I'm doing well. Thank you. How are you? Doing doing good. Um, so we're obviously talking about Zoo. Uh, obviously. You, yes. Um, we are both... I, I, I mean, I feel like we're both animal people. Like we're both, we're both animals for sure. We're both animals. Um, no, we both have animals. Animals, yeah. I feel like, are a big part of both of our lives. Would you say that's fair? Sure, that's fair. We love Coco. I love Coco. <laughs> uh, Coco. Um, and so I don't know. It's interesting when you're watching Zoo to to be confronted with like. Um, uh, Wiseman, like being a fan of Wiseman's work and also being an animal lover is just, you know, it's an interesting spot to be. Um, but I don't like zoos. I'll, I'll say that out front. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, you know, there is an element of being a Weisman fan and going into a film called zoo and having some reasonable expectations about the kinds of things you're going to encounter and this definitely does that it does not like subvert those expectations it gives you pretty much exactly what you think you're gonna get um which which is interesting especially coming off of the heels of aspen which was like very much not what you thought you know that film was gonna be he kind of he kind of like goes back and and gives throws you a bone and and just showing you a lot of behind the scenes stuff and and zoo but, you know, um, yes, it, you know, my relationship to zoos are very colored by Lincoln Park Zoo in Chicago, which is, you know, the main zoo I've been at uh, in my life, which for most of my life was entirely free to attend. I think uh, mm-hmm. within the past year or two, they started charging like five bucks admission. I don't know. I haven't been uh, recently, but, you know, for me, it's it's in the middle of Lincoln Park. And it's so you could it, it's because it was free. It was just so integrated. I could just kind of wander in, you know, not really planning to like go to the zoo, quote unquote, but just like on a lark, just kind of walk through, check out, mm-hmm. you know, the polar bear, check out the seals, you know, and and it, it's a very low commitment you know like like uh but i think there is of course always this like dual nature of enjoying seeing animals and the novelty of like you know exotic animals you don't see around very much but knowing that there's just like something kind of inherently fucked up about the whole thing (laughs) you know like there's just no it's totally unnatural you know, all these enclosures are much smaller than they, you know, should be, uh, or, you know, the miles expanses they would have if they were still in the wild. Um, and, you know, I think just knowing as demonstrated by the rhino in this film that like, it's very hard to breed, uh, animals in captivity, you know, there's just like something inherently unnatural. That's like, you know, evolutionarily, like they just kind of like cut themselves off and they're like, no, we're not going to 
continue this uh yeah and they have to keep you know bringing in new animals for that reason i I think the lincoln park zoo was the first zoo i ever went to as well because definitely took field trips there um but i mean i liked the zoo as a kid for sure but when i started going as an adult which was never my idea um i always just found myself unhappy throughout and part of it is what you're saying uh but it was more like a visceral reaction like seeing a depressed animal or whatever um but i don't know i i i don't really have like a strong uh reason why which i think i can kind of i i think that's why i really appreciate wiseman is because like he doesn't have this like fawning um animal rights like stereotypical like Mm. uh perspective um and even though like animals are part of my daily life like i i also don't have that that feeling i don't i don't have this like uh uh you know i don't need to watch like a ton of animal videos and like gush over them and i Mm. also don't feel strongly like you know i'm a meat eater um i don't feel like I, I don't feel like that's a, that's uh advocacy that is a part of my life that I care about. Um, mm. And so one of the big things that we've talked about before with Wiseman is a certain um, ambivalence or at least a, um, a, an understanding of what nature is. And, uh, I, and I think that that's really important um, and it's it definitely um imbues what zoo is and it's obviously there's a central irony uh because of the things you're saying you see at the zoo uh between what nature is and how animals are and then having this uh this institution and there's so much well there's just so much like even even the best possible examples of what a zoo could be which is what this was supposed to be right exactly Yeah. yeah you know i mean like there's no way to tell a crocodile I'm putting you in this box, you know, so I can bring you somewhere nicer, you know, or like, like, you know, even, even something like when we're bringing our pets to the vet, you know, and you know, they get, I'll speak for myself, but my cats like hate it. They get stressed out, you know, they're, they don't like being in the carrier and I can't be like, you know, I need to take you to the vet. This is for your own good. Right. Like the wolf getting the shot in, in this film where it's just like, that's the worst part is like, they uh you know there's a castration scene and they have to give the the wolf a shot and the wolf the hardest part is seeing the wolf squeam because the wolf doesn't know which i'm gonna walk that way okay good boy good boy good boy good boy good boy keep going you want to just wrestle them down? That this right. shot is is going to be okay. Um, I mean, I'm not trying well, to like put yeah. <laughs> put um, good or bad on the castration. You know, like obviously that's a that's a different thing. But like yeah. when you're talking about taking your animal to the vet and giving them a vaccination, like the hardest part is like seeing them squeam and then having to like control them to to do totally. It. Yeah, it's just not fun. No, not at all. But like like. There's no, there's this inherent disconnect, I guess, where though, you know, I, I'm going to be very cautious here because I'm not trying to draw comparisons between animals and any groups or class of people, but, you know, 
thinking about subjugation in Weissman's films and, uh-huh. and Dominion, you know, like people at Bridgewater have a sense of why they're there. You know, they they can grasp the context because they're humans, you know, like like and and of course, um, Vlad, you know, is able to advocate for himself very, you know, forcefully against being there. You know, all the animals here can do is what, like attack somebody and try and escape, you know, which is going to lead to them getting put down. But there is no there's no um, potential avenues to resist this subjugation, you know, like there there is no hope of one day getting out, you know, like like you the the dominion is so total um, and, you know, it. Uh, I think we see some babies here. So, I mean, there are some animals for whom this is the only life they've ever known. But just knowing how zoos work, hearing the board meeting at the end, talking about Komodo dragons being brought over from Indonesia, you know, knowing the whole like China panda zoo like uh, network thing. Um, mm-hmm. They're always being brought into this completely bizarre context where they're just humans walking around all over the place. Uh, and for reasons entirely beyond their comprehension you know and it it makes them more than like you know or i guess i should say equal to um any of the animal films that weissman has done up until this point like just uh uh, so without agency Mm -hmm. for sure um yeah i had something i was gonna say but uh that's okay i don't remember it but we should say that Zoo is, which is Wiseman's 1993 film, is his 25th film. 25, 25 that's a big number. Definitely. Um, and he, this is a hundred hours shot, although the number will vary depending on where you mm-hmm. see it. Um, and he shot it in 42 days and edited it over one year, um, which he said... Uh, it was uh it took longer than usual and there are more cuts in this than typical film i think something like 2000 cuts totally um, it's, and par- just, it's it's apparent too yeah for sure and just so we don't have to repeat it throughout there is a joke wiseman likes to say about this film mm-hmm. and that it that is that it was unusual for him because at least half the participants don't speak english okay. uh, <laughs> he also said the meetings were important for the same reason um meeting scene at the end but yes uh it's a good joke and (laughs) now we can move on um uh but uh this is also zoo was also the entry point for um chinese documentarians fascination with wiseman we talked about this on the central park episode but when he came to the yamagata festival in 1993 he presented the film um although i think model was also screened in 1991 but um, we spoke a bit about this, like I said, on the Central Park episode, but I found another ep- anecdote with some specificity about the oh, premiere. Um, and uh, so the filmmakers, Wu Wang, Wang Wang, Duan Jinchon, and Hao Zhikwang, um, I'm sure butchering all of those, but they were all... Um, they were all there and all were friends. And uh, apparently afterwards they were like stepping over each other's sentences uh, after the film because they were so excited about what they just saw. Um, and just to, to discuss it. And I think the temp- tenor was um, that they were kind of 
their appreciation or like uh, their love of this film was unique within this, this uh, festival uh, setting. Mm. But um, that was from that anecdote was from the book DV made China. Um, oh, cool. Yes. Do, do you, I mean, not much we could do here, but speculate, but do you think there's something special about zoo that really resonated with these filmmakers or do you think it could have been any Weissman film at that time you know just kind of blowing their lids open i think it could have been any i mean because as we as we hear like they the more they saw like they you know i think they saw the same type of like uh i think the fascination continued and i mean it's the reason why the square um mm. copies central park because they saw country central park and we're just really taken i think i think they were taken with his technique overall right but i mean zoo is is quite a movie i mean it's it's a it's an odd it's an odd movie um for sure yeah like you said uh we were talking just before recording that um it kind of like sneaks up on you um because it does start as like this nature doc and uh this in a traditional sense and goes in a lot of places um, as Wiseman is like deconstructing the zoo. Uh, but we can definitely get into it. Um, sure. Did you, did you want to go through the discourse first? Sure. No problem there. Where do you want to start? Oh, let's start with Charlie Rose. Okay. Um, so we're, we're gifted with a Charlie Rose interview. Um, this is the and- first one. First time yes. he was on. Uh, yes, we we've benefited from uh, screenshots of Weisman on these black backgrounds uh, as kind yes. of reaction images over the years, but we finally and, finally gotten to the source. And as you said, he has the Tom Wolf drip. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, he looks good. Uh, so he he tells Charlie Rose that uh, a zoo is a natural extension of primate meat and ri- and racetrack, which is. Uh, exactly how Barry Keith Grant uh, groups them in, in the newest edition of his book. Um, and he talks about how much the animals require and, and how hard the zoo works to make sure they're, they're healthy and ready for visitors. And Rose asks him about the rhino stillbirth um, that we'll discuss. And Wiseman says that the pregnancy lasted 20 months. And um, he says he came away from, from the making of zoo with more appreciation for what's involved in caring for animals and making them ready for the public. Um, and as we talk with our guest, uh, this is, he tells him that this is the only zoo that he asked. Uh, so he got a yes right away. Um, and that his intention with this film was, uh, to show what's behind the zoo, what goes into it. Um, there's also some, a couple fun tidbits. He says the Impala is his favorite animal. He likes zoos, goes to them all over the country and, uh, is interested in people's reactions to the animals. He also, tells Charlie Rose that uh, the favorite films of his own are welfare and near mm. death because of the complexity of human behavior. Yeah, he finally gives an answer to that question. I, I think yeah. that might be the first time we see that. Yeah, for sure. He, he also, it ends with him taking a fun jab at public television when, <laughs> yeah, when Rose asks, asks him uh, what he wants to make a film out of in the future. And he says public television and says, you know, Charlie Rose uh, asks him if he's serious. He says, no. And he's like, well, why would you bite the hand that feeds you? And Fred's like, what makes you think it feeds me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Really fun exchange. Um, 
uh, seems like Charlie Rose was almost teeing him up for that one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think, I think, you know, we were talking a bit about this. uh, Rose doesn't seem to be really asking any uh, particularly unique or insightful questions, but Weissman seems to be more willing to indulge him given Mm -hmm. the, the stature of the show and, and, you know, knowing that a lot of people watch this on PBS um but he he seems to be pretty kind of playing it up uh, a little bit just just uh will, willing to kind of yeah. talk a bit more jovially than we we see in interviews uh typically um but yeah i think i think what's really comes out of this is his uh, we'll talk with lance later do we say we have lance oppenheim we haven't uh, announced yeah. that our guest is lance oppenheim lance oppenheim director of a. Uh, some kind of heaven, which you know, uh, you could haven't seen it. Pause the episode and watch it. It's one of the the best uh, docs of our young decade, uh, hands down. But um, you know, the, what's really expressed here is an appreciation for the labor and the workers and the zookeepers and you know the the chief vet we see through the film. Um, but you know, I think that's what Weissman is really communicating here, and what Zoo really communicates you know, is, is, uh, an appreciation for labor and, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's not easy labor. It's, it's really difficult oh, yeah. emotionally, physically, um, and, you know, financially, uh, I think we can assume too, but I think there are so many interesting contradictions that that labor presents. And we'll talk later about sort of this idea of mitigating death. But I mean, like when you think of zookeepers, you don't think, people going around with rifles on their hips you know uh hunting <laughs> you know li- literally out out in the zoo hunting right right you know that there that there uh is even the infrastructure for them to go on this impromptu like revenge sojourn <laughs> uh at the zoo is is kind of remarkable in and of itself for sure um washington post article by patricia brennan uh, she also mentions that it starts like a Nat Geo special, um, says that it doesn't take long to notice that the, the humans are funnier than the animals, uh, making the observation that humans, like with primate, are the real attraction. Uh, she calls Wiseman a genius, says his camera doesn't blink, and, and mentions that there are some tough realities in the zoo. A lot of the reviews talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some some interview bits in this too. Uh, Wiseman says he enjoyed editing Zoo in particular, and that it has like 2,000 edits, which I mentioned. Um, and she talks about the irony of the feast with the beasts thing, and kind of talks generally about food eaten throughout the film. Um, feast with the beasts is another thing that that seems to have stuck with with critics. Um, yeah. Wiseman Wiseman calls the vet, uh, whose name is Christine Miller, extremely competent. Um, and there's a fun note that the zoo was, was preceded on PBS by something called the vet, which is about a vet who follows farm animals around. Um, and Brandon then uses the majority of the article to, to talk about the follies case. Um, and you got to think this was right after 1991, which is when it became public. Yeah. they, uh, They mentioned it. Follies aired on PBS last the month prior. Oh, cool! Uh, finally, which was is, I, I don't know if I'd heard that, um, but it was yeah. interesting to see. There's a small little small note note at the end that uh, Wiseman grouped all of his films for Brennan. I don't know if he went on some sort of like tangent, but um, 
he like made all these categories and groupings and he grouped primate meat and model together. So not racetrack this time around, but I think uh-huh. that that grouping with model is very instructive and we will talk about that later. Yeah, definitely. Well, I guess, you know, the connections to zoo from zoo to model are pretty apparent, you know, model to meet and uh, race or primate. Yeah, that's that's a bit more interesting. I'd like to unpack that. Uh, some that's cool. But um, yeah, the, you know, t- hats off, I guess, to Davey for that Nat Geo kind of sheen. Uh, yeah, yeah that that's being noted here i think he he was probably pretty in his element you know thinking about even something like the rhino labor you know is probably like familiar territory just you know being positioned for hours and hours and hours trying to get you know that perfect nature shot um so yeah right hats off uh there he was a, a good collaborator uh for this one um Another thing that came out of this interview that I thought was interesting, the interview section of the piece was talking about Weissman talking about how he regretted not shooting stuff when he was making hospital. He, Mm -hmm. uh, he's kind of asked this question about like propriety and like, um, just he, he feel like he had, he had too much of it in his early days, you know, that he kind of for, uh, yeah, reasons of propriety or just like privacy, uh, opted not to shoot some things that he wish he had. Uh, and that, that, that's something he, he would never do at this point (laughs) in his career. You know, he just shoots it. And if someone objects, they can let him know, but, um, just kind of, uh yeah benefiting from his his years of experience and and just seeing some articulation of how his practices change based on his experiences i think is valuable Mm -hmm. definitely uh the variety piece uh by lisa nelsonson nelsonson um it's an interesting one yeah it's better than (laughs) usual Um, i mean you you i mean i feel like uh in the small world of Weissman podcast listeners, you we get to us talking about variety, you know, what it's going to be like. Um, but yeah, this is the first like competent variety review I can recall <laughs> seeing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, she does say that it's a bit saggy in the middle, but it sustains fewer interest um, and says that only the lions and a few playmates look displeased. Um there's a line uh, cutaways to zoo visitors who seem to do more peering by interme- intermediary of camcorder than via the naked mm-hmm. eye effortlessly emphasize that humans may sometimes look and act stranger than their fellow members of the animal kingdom. Um, there's sure. also a line about how uh, the vet uh, rinsing the, the calf's head, the severed head while the, the co-workers chat in the background is surreal as anything in Un Chen <laughs> Andalou, um, the Dolly Boonwell film. Um, and uh, there's a, a line about how there's a, a feminist critique to be made about uh, the group of women who sweet talk a dog prior to, <laughs> to castrating it, the wolf, yeah. um, which is a funny line. Um, and she, yeah, she makes a joke. I, I, I saw it mentioned somewhere, but makes a joke about like, those babies right out. most of it feels like it was written by phone though. This article, I, maybe, this is when <laughs> I re- maybe this is when reporters would call in their articles. Uh, yeah. there's just like no flow to it. <laughs> 
Yeah, uh, Lisa Nelson is the reviewer, and yeah, she calls him a master. I mean, you know, what you said, the the lag in the middle, but sustaining viewer interest for variety, that's like a rave uh, yeah, for Weissman, yeah. you know, especially well edited. I feel like these are the ones where they're always like, he needs to work with another editor or something uh-huh. and trim these down or whatever. Um, but yeah, the, the thing with the castration scene, I, I noted that as well. Um, thinking about near death and like the, the kind of gender divide between doctors and nurses and here it being all women, uh, you know, aside from the obvious jokes about castration, I think that's just kind of notable both within the institution that that that's there and also just kind of professionally thinking like well are are women more kind of steered toward who are interested in biology medicine steered towards you know veterinary work um something to think about um but yeah you know the the surreality of the rhino you know it's a, a bit forced uh you know yeah, I think, I think so too. yeah you know i think i think it's disturbing you know <laughs> and it's stuff we don't see a whole lot but um uh and there's a lot of interesting elements to it but i, I don't know that i call it surreal per se as uh i don't know what i'd call it inappropriate <laughs> but um the the zoo she she notes that the zoo exists in a space between humans and animals and i think that is really the crux of the film is is like uh defining the zoo uh in the minds of both sides of the fence you know the conceptions of what's happening and how the zoo uh for both classes of species i guess um operates and and defines and contextualizes all the activities were shown in the film for sure for sure um new york times by walter goodman um says uh wiseman allows the subject to reveal itself uh the mundane along with the sensational um and the opening 10 minutes of uh disporting families and show off animal tests and show off animals tests even a wiseman fan's endurance and after the sixth or seventh time the zoo train goes by you might find yourself hoping for a derailment um weird line yeah, it's like my my man's never heard of a visual motif. Before. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> um, but also, this is the same line that Walter Goodman used in Central Park about Weiss, even for Weissman fans, and it's oh, like, sure, like you know, like like uh, I, you seem to be like speaking for a group of people you do not consider yourself like to be a part of, and and or making so, up some group that doesn't exist or something yeah Um, yeah or just just this kind of straw man thing that we're we're meant to take at face value right and and it it's just kind of a you know we again we've talked about like tv reviews or film reviews goodman is a television reviewer this was for the the june pbs broadcast but you know kind of a uh just litany of standard Weissman critiques, you know, about it being boring, says there's no narration, so viewers don't understand what's going on. Um, but then he notes that with patience, you do grasp what's going on. So it's just like, you know, a, a willingness to engage and have that patience and do the work to figure it out. 
which I think that that to me is what really typifies these TV uh, reviews. Um, but yeah, for sure. you know his his insight seems pretty limited to the you know quote unquote points that Weissman may or may not be making about you know humans and animals or we really mm-hmm. so different talks about the haircut thing. yeah and right. how it's related to how the chimps are being groomed so that's that's pretty surfacey uh, just like low hanging fruit kind of stuff I think um, but you know he says <laughs> He even even takes time to call out shots of kitties eating cotton candy and riding the car- carousel roll boringly by. <laughs> and it's like, have you watched a movie before? It's just like, you know, not everything is serving some kind of narrative function necessarily. Um, he, yeah, know, he takes but, a jab at the length of the film yeah. at the end and it's okay. All right. Yeah, there, there's not much to get out of this one. Yeah. Uh, the... Los Angeles Times return of Robert Kohler, though, uh, is different, is a different story. <laughs> um, so it's the ambivalence that many people have about zoos run, runs through Wiseman's new film like a kind of glue holding the work's various pieces together. Um, says the course of images are subtly structured, as uh, Wiseman always does, and uh, suggests a place very different from an, an entertainment attraction uh, divorced from natural forces. He mentions that uh, there's some irony with the way Wiseman shoots the visitors and uh, says he repeatedly juxtaposes uh, the summary fun with close-ups of the animals eating food or prey. Um, and he talks about like the how this meshes the uh, clinical and carefree tone of Central Park with the uncensored approach to physical processes of near death, which I thought was interesting. Um, Details all the gruesome stuff, says zoo is lush and austere and uh, is bookended by the misleading entertainments of a dancing elephant show and a lavish fundraiser for zoo donors. He then ends uh, with this line, which I like. When Wiseman's camera captures an elephant trying to wrap its trunk around tuxedo-clad partygoers, it presents the wild, the civilized, and the strange meeting ground between the two we call the zoo, which is kind of what you were kind of positioning uh, between, you know, yeah. these two species. Yeah, but I guess we, we haven't talked about the Feast with the Beast too much yet. but No, but I will say, I think the tuxedo, cl- the, the guy in the tuxedo that the that the mm-hmm. trunk wraps around, I think is a trainer because he yeah, knows yeah, his yeah, name. Yeah. He's, he's, you know, you need to have uh, some kind of superficial. Or, you would yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. He, he says, hug me, and he like mm-hmm. wraps his trunk around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a trainer of another sort um but yeah you know i think the the thing about central park meets near death we we touched on that a bit i think that's pretty apt um uh you know we, we as we talked about in the central park app there is a zoo in central park uh that we never see um but this is this is that film the the thing that I'd like to discuss in Kohler's piece as he says it's as subtly structured as any of Fred Weissman's films. And just thinking about that phrase, subtlety, um, you know, I think the kind of backbone scene and just like 
happening of this film is the rhino stillbirth you know it it's like the longest continuous scene you know we return to it periodically as the film goes on what like the aftermath you know um and just kind of the the fallout of it you know kind of i guess like a a peter and deaf kind of level of importance to the film you know it's discussed structure you know um but that i think that scene comes in roughly half an hour in um you know and it starts out and you don't know what's happening of course you know it's it we see the rhino first as an animal like in any other of the attractions and there's like this group of women there's just kind of like having a riot uh watching it come out of the water the baby. Look at this. <laughs> like this. You read it? Come here. I can't believe this. Ears. <laughs> no, now you can um and then you know this birth happens but like there's so much within the labor scene you know of that uh we could point to and and connect to the rest of the film as far as news crews being there uh people shooting with cameras and binoculars you know um the observation panopticon kind of thing uh this meticulous note-taking that's being done like every time the rhino changes position you know minute to minute uh observation um and then you know the tragedy of the outcome here and they're like there's there i i don't know if you caught this or interpreted it the same way i did but it seemed like after the rhino looks at the the kid like she almost looks towards where all the humans are like like uh, what's going like can you help me out come over here for a sec you know like there's there seems to be some kind of glance and then you know when when they do come in you you might expect it to be uh like a bit more dramatic like a, a mom protecting their newborn but you know they're able they have this rapport with the rhino that I guess they're able to just go right in there and, and try mm-hmm. and save its life, uh, albeit unsuccessfully. But but um, the way, I guess, that the scene, because it contains life and death, because it contains observation and control and assistance, you know, is, is sort of the uh, Rosetta Stone for Zoo. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there's also... I, I think you can talk about the dissection of Rhino as dissection of the film. Like, I think it's self-reflexive. There's a, there's sure. a crass metaphor to be made here that, that when Wiseman births a project, it's done. It's out of his hands after that. And then the mm. people come in and take it away and then they break it down. Yeah. Just like we see in the autopsy and they're taking pictures of it and spreading it out and thinking about it the same way that we are now. Um, so I think that that's part of it. Um, but also, um, there was a uh, one of the academic pieces we read um, had some interesting stuff to talk about this scene and how it works with um, to, to showcase hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Um, and which, you know, hierarchy is, is a central theme of, of zoo and it's unavoidable when you look at institutions in general and, you know, on our Central Park episode, Alex Sherman made a great point about this, about how in many scenes of Wiseman films, you can chart the hierarchy. 
Um, and, and Grant also talks specifically about this, this uh, film and, and other animal films in his book and how subserviency is a common theme. Um, and I think it was the, this chapter in an academic book, the chapter was called the argumentative relevance of visual and multimodal antithesis in Wiseman's documentaries. Um, and by, uh, Serranus and Forceville. Um, but, uh, they, oh wait, no, sorry. This is, uh, from Judith Haberstrom in, uh, an article from women in performance, uh, which is a, um, uh, feminist, uh, academic journal. And they reference an article by somebody else named Laura Marks, who talks about the rhino stillbirth and how it's tragic for us watching. Um, you know, it's a visceral thing to, to witness and it's ultimately like tragic for the zoo because it's the loss of an investment. Um, and so they talk or Laura Marks talks about it as this commodity. And then, uh, Haberstrom kind of talks about it as another way. Um, in a very academic sense, um, saying, saying that it, it, it represents this, uh, um, more than a failed investment that, that it's sadness is the pathos of the human, the cruelty of the human, the impossibility of life in the vicinity of the human. And it goes on from there, but, uh, basically talking about the rhino stillbirth as in metaphoric terms, as like the, the portent of doom that signifies human intervention. Um, and the various impulses of the modern human, of course, one of them being capital uh, impulses. But um, so like you're saying, it, it is really this, this Rosetta Stone and, and Lance talks about how, how uh, touching the rhino just walks off um, and is like, well, this is death. This is it. Um, and so it, it really does represent like a natural response uh the human response, the viewer response, the, the, the response of the interventionist, um, as well as the capital response. And then also this metatextual, um, possible reading about it, uh, along with the film's greater, uh, metatextual sense about like how Wiseman thinks about making a film. Yeah. I mean, that, sums it up <laughs> pretty much i mean i think i think it's yeah the the metatextual element and the metaphorical element too that she's getting at here about just like a, a world a natural world under the the uh control of humanity you know and and just mm-hmm. sort of the uh inevitable conclusions or the seemingly inevitable conclusions that are typified by death you know um uh so that's that's you know i think very much like kind of a environmentalist or a naturalist and in, uh interpretation something that could be taken away but but yeah i i, I thought that was pretty good uh, mm-hmm. uh especially i don't know did you read that whole piece or just the zoo section i think i just read the zoo section because the the intro section was uh trying to make a case for like dreamworks and pixar animation oh being, yeah i skipped over that yeah sites of like uh anarchist queer revolution rather no, than thank you. like <laughs> capitalist propaganda you know? <laughs> sure sure um anyway so, village yeah. voice amy tobin um <laughs> uh yeah, she ump- it's cool to see amy <laughs> yeah 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 she opens on the feast with the beasts and says uh the power to define what spectacle is separates humans from beasts and helps keep the former at the top of the food chain. 
This is the paradox that underlies Wiseman's gorgeous, disturbingly graphic, and occasionally listless documentary. Um, she says he, that Wiseman always sides with the most vulnerable, and Zoo is no different. So I th- no different. I thought that was smart, and yeah. draws comparisons to Follies and near death, and uh, and the near death patients as well as high school students. Um, importantly, she says uh, that the zoo attendants and wildlife vets are probably the most humane and least arrogant keepers in the Wiseman catalog. Hmm. Doesn't make the institution they uphold any less compromised. Yeah, that and. I think this idea of a compromised institution, I, I agree with it, but it's worth unpacking a bit because it gets to, you know, s- some stuff we'll talk about later, but, you know, things can be compromised uh, only in the sense that they are not achieving their stated goals, I guess, or their their purpose for existing, which is something we come across in Weissman a lot, right? This, this, uh, dichotomy between stated ideology and purpose and the the actual practices of the institution right Right. so so what is it that's being compromised and uh we try to locate ideology in our conversation with lance but i guess this idea that we as zoo can present any sort of valuable or authentic uh engagement with an animal i guess is the idea that's their sort of underlies their whole existence right like Mm -hmm. come here see animals this is Mm -hmm. an animal this is what they are you won't see them anywhere else so how how is that being undermined in the actual practices how are they coming short of that stated purpose um you know i think through our discussions it's pretty apparent but you know the the answer is that there as we were just discussing uh with the um about the kid the stillborn kid you know there there is nothing natural here and the the artifice employed in fact uh is counterproductive to life itself counterproductive to the continued existence and experience of animals in a a way that uh is entirely antithetical to what the zoo is trying to do um she says that all the all the incidents he focuses on center around contradictions which is kind of what you're saying uh and such as the the she says the fence meant meant to preserve the deer become the instrument of their death Um, ends by saying that Wiseman's camera carefully notes the limits to the natural habitats. And he makes us aware of our dubious pleasure in the beauty of wildlife, that nothing we look at is free. Um, which, yeah, again, goes along with what you're saying. Um, and I, you, you talked about this with Lance, but the, the dog stuff, uh, kind of plays into the hierarchy very well. Totally who who deserves which animal deserves to be on show which animal deserves to live which animal deserves to to die the the bunny and the python uh also bunny and the python yeah the birds and the whatever it's the birds um there's a uh upi piece well just just uh before moving on um this idea also the other academic piece uh, you you mm-hmm. uh, were briefly mentioning Saranus and Forceville this whole antithesis idea uh, like cinematic antithesis as uh, expressed through Weissman's filmography um, I thought was was pretty interesting if maybe a bit uh, 
you know over overly academic um you know i think i think they they label a lot of things that you and i talk about i think kind of naturally in kind of uh this kind of forced paradigm uh which is fine uh, uh, i don't i don't disagree with anything they're saying but i think i don't know how productive it is in revealing anything new about uh weissman's approach or what his films are doing um but having said that um this idea of the different the c- comparison and difference through the juxtaposition of scenes uh like something we talk about later is this like cement and, or this concrete and uh steel cage that we first find some chimps in after we have been watching all these other animals in relatively open green lush enclosures that are being viewed by the public and this one's being hidden away and just the sort of natural uh, antithetical properties that that juxtaposition right. brings up. So I thought, you know, that that was a really good instance of that and just sort For of sure. uh, can give you a, a bit of what that uh, academic piece was doing. Yeah, that's, that's well put. Um, so this UPI uh, piece, I can't remember what UPI stands for, but... Um, United Press International. There we go. This is by Jane Sutton. And it's, um, I think, is this covering the press conference? Yes. Okay, so covering this press conference of sort of the making of the movie um, and the zoo. Um, and it was it, held jointly between a zoo spokesman and, and Weissman. And Weissman, yeah. The, the zoo spokesman is Ron McGill. Um, and he says that the film's very bloody and maybe difficult for some viewers to watch. He says, this is a hardcore documentary <laughs> showing the good and the bad. They're going to see another side of zoos. A side that may may be a little disturbing. It's just not an attraction. It's a very real place with life and death every day. And Wiseman responds, but it's represented quite matter-of-factly as part of the work that's involved. It's not presented in any kind of exploitative or sensational way. This is what happens. A documentary film is meant to show life as it's lived. And um, there's a great passage that I want to read in full. It's it's not long, but um, that that... Uh, well, I'll just, I'll just read this passage. One scene shows a zoo worker using a swift blow from a metal bar to kill a rabbit, then feeding the rabbit to a boa constrictor. McGill said the zoo probably will hear from animal rights activists saying, I can't believe you would kill a bunny rabbit like that. However, he said it's much crueler and much more agonizing to watch a snake kill a rabbit. In the wild, nature is a lot crueler. Um, Wiseman did not find the scene disturbing. And Wiseman response anybody that thinks that's cruel or unnecessary hasn't thought about what they're eating themselves or what other people eat said said the filmmaker that's no different than somebody going into a butcher shop and buying a piece of steak that's been killed it may not be as cute as the rabbit but it was once just as alive um i i really loved this back and forth because on the one hand it's it's you get like a very clear rationalization of the zoo of human intervention that like we're, what we're doing is not as cruel as nature, um, which is uh, great. And then on the other hand, you have Wiseman, you know, speaking to the larger themes of the project, specifically the animal related ones like, like, you know, meat. Um, and what he's talking about more than anything animal specific even is, is the deconstruction of the process um, and offering a, a deconstruction of how we live our modern lives. Um, not saying it's right or wrong, but, you know, just offering a peek behind the curtain um, and, and asking you how to respond. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting because it's true. Obviously, you know, uh, uh, watching a bunny being hunted and devoured in the wild is probably going to be more gruesome than you know the the quote unquote a humane death that's given here. Um, but I feel like it, it's a it's a smidge intellectually dishonest because um, yes, it that element is less cruel. But this whole enterprise and institution, yeah. is that less cruel, you right. know, than what of happens course. in nature? You know, um, uh, it, it, it begs the question or, or it leads you to think, you know, go, take it to its natural conclusion. Right. And, and extend it to the whole concept of zoos, which which they kind of just stop short of doing. Um, but like Taubin was saying, you know, everything is full of contradictions here. So there are elements that are less cruel and elements that uh, do have a degree of cruelty just related to like capture and enclosure and, and that kind of thing. Well, that's why it's a good rationalization because it, yeah. you could say that and have somebody go, Oh yeah, I guess you're right. Cool. Without really thinking about the broader implications. It, it's, it's very much a rationalization rather than a justification. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the piece also says that Wiseman's favorite scene is the aviary scene, which is a beautiful little, uh, image which I, w- I wondered if that was kind of said just in hindsight and retrospect for the hurricane that uh, right, right. came through before and destroyed the aviary yeah. and all the birds flew away um, but this the scene of watching the birds but it is great over them yeah, yeah. um the piece ends with another quote from mcgill he says i think people will have a much greater respect for what zoos stand for and the amount of work they put into research breeding and education you don't make a lot of money working at a zoo. You have to really love what you're doing. And I think the film shows that, which is, it is also fascinating. It really focuses on things that are unimpeachable that happen in the zoo. And that is the labor and the attention to the animals by these individual people that have nothing to do with, as we say, how the power is exercised. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also this, uh, apparently some observer piece by Philip French. This was just placed in the notes of the London film fest program. It doesn't really say anything too strong. Just says the feast with the beast is easy satire. And then just goes on to describe the movie. Yeah. I mean, do do you want to talk about that scene in more feast with the beast at at this point? Yeah. 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 Let's do it. I mean, it's, it's just kind of a return to like this classic, Weissman conclusion scene oh, yeah. you know like it it's Pageantry. such it's such a button on the film and i think <laughs> it's probably something that leads a lot of the critical engagement uh you you mentioned like a lot of them talk about this scene that leads them to uh consider the film to be more critical than it probably is because i mean anytime you kind of see rich people in fancy dress you know in these absurd settings you know it it's easy to just point at it and be like, look, like rich people bad, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Um, which, you know, rich people bad, but, um, like, like what, you know, I think you've, you've talked, you've talked about it a bit, um, with regards to what Weissman was just saying in that press conference about like thinking about what we're eating and where the food comes from, right? We have all this meat being grilled. Uh, wait, wait, but don't say, don't say the dish. So this this uh, episode's trivia question. Oh uh, yeah, we have books. Good. I forgot all about that. We have a book to give away. <laughs> this trivia question for this episode: um, Tell us the dish that they're serving 
um, at this. So what I mean is you see a <laughs> sign and you have to, you have to tell us the whole entire, uh, dish. Anyway, go ahead. So e- email the dish name. Can't say just like paella cause we say paella. <laughs> oh man, that paella looks so good. Um, but yeah, email the answer to weismanpodcast at gmail.com. First one to do that gets a copy mail to them of uh, the new Barry Keith Grant Voyages Within of Discovery. The 48 edition. states. Um, Alaska and Hawaii, you're fine. It's okay. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, there's, I think this, it, it ends to the final shot of the film and this scene. It's it's very abrupt. It's like this jump cut to all of a sudden this dinner's like in shambles. And like it's like the end of racetrack where it's just like yeah. a, a pile of garbage, basically. And I think in Central Park too, where we see the clean. Yeah. And yeah. like the the you know, there are these ice sculptures, right? Great. So good. <laughs> in Miami. Mamber's, Mamber's the only one to bring these up, but they're so good. And like the the just kind of inherent contradiction of trying to keep ice sculptures intact in the middle of a Miami. Miami. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Like like so and the the metaphor for the zoo, right? Like like the trying to keep this natural artifice in place uh as you know everything around it conspires to defeat it essentially you know well and then the jump cut is the ice sculpture is just melted completely demolished it's like it shambles on the floor yeah um but you know i think i think it's also a little abrupt too because there is this kind of reverence that weissman has for zoos right that like you know, really makes you think, well, this is, this has to be more than just about the sort of irony of, you know, access provided by the zoos and, you know, practices of raising money by serving animals, uh, in order to preserve animals, you know, other animals, uh, through this hierarchy we've been discussing. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, how, how are you seeing the scene operating like, oh, just as, as, you know, within the context of the rest of zoo? Uh, I don't know. Um, putting me on the spot. I can't remember <laughs> if I wrote about this when I first saw it, cause that's the scene really struck me. Um, but yeah, I kind of see it like what you were saying earlier about like metaphorically of like um i mean the ice sculptures really really are are such a great image um uh i i i think i don't know i i think especially the first time i saw it i walked away like being thinking about it critically because it is such a statement to see this like melted ice sculpture um and to be like this is kind of a this is a failed attempt or like overall, or I don't know. Um, I, I don't know. I don't really have anything smart to say about it, but in some ways it kind of, it kind of speaks for itself. Cause it is just such a thing, but then there's also like the pageantry that he loves that he sees. And there's like this hypocrisy, you know, it's like racetrack. It's the same, same thing over again. Like not even just the trash, but, but the pageantry happening, um, that we see there, these parties, um, and that belies like the actual control that's there. But we also have animals on showcase here that are like, um, that are 
within the hierarchy of the animals that are that are worth showing off. Um, and then there are the ones that are worth eating. I won't say because it's a trivia question. <laughs> um, that I don't know. It, it is. It's not fun to say like it's all hypocrisy and, and it's satire. But at the end end of the day, like I think he's drawn to satirical images like this. Um, but I don't know. Do you have anything to say about it? Well, I mean, I'll I mean, just... there's also. I was going to say, sorry, the food preparation is shot so similarly between yes. between the. Um, Oh yes, this kind of leads me to my broader point. Um, we see we see the the food prep of the banana and the egg salad, and we see the same food prep for the for the salad um, that's made at Feast with the Beast, um, and it reminds me of the title Primate and how you know it's like okay, you walk away from that, you go okay, Primate, and he's making a joke about who is the primate here. And Feast with the Beasts is the same thing. It's like Feast with the Beasts. It's like, yes, there are these animals that are there, but more is like the double entendre that like these rich people are sort of the beasts, quote unquote. Beautiful. I think, I think uh, you hit it. You definitely hit part of it um, that I hadn't considered. But uh, I'll quote you back uh, from your letterbox review. Um this, you say the scene exhibits the irony and absurdity of modern life that we've embedded into the quotidian, which, you know, is, is something Weissman is always out there searching for, I think, and trying to locate. And he finds it all too often um, because that that is this is America. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I think I think the it. It also just is a microcosm scene that, that thematically demonstrates the main, uh, or, or I should say rather visually demonstrates the main theme of the film, which is that, you know, the, in order to preserve animal life, it is necessary to, uh, engender animal death, right? Like in, in order to fund the zoo, uh, whose task it is to highlight and maintain the majesty of the animal kingdom, we must uh, feed animals to the people with the means and resources to allow the zoo to continue to propagate itself. I wonder also if if there's another like um, thread to be drawn back to like this sort of metatextual filmmaking um, level reading of like this, you know, it comes after the the meeting scene, which I think you can talk about in, in terms of like financing a film, which, you know, Wiseman knows all too well about. Um, and then having these sort of like parties, whether they're mm. premieres or fundraising <laughs> totally, parties, yeah. um, that is like, well, couldn't we be spending this money on like the films? Um, yeah, do you but, think Weissman identifies a bit with the elephants and the parrots? <laughs> 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 you know, uh, uh take take a picture with the artist that you're you know uh granting all this money to um right. it was it was interesting to note uh, in the credits too it said I, I think we first saw this in near death but that it was funding was also provided by channel four uh in the uk and um so there's uh, i'll note i think after the film or before Yamagata Radder, this uh, played at the London Film Fest, as you mentioned, it also premiered at Cinema de Real in Paris. So um, beyond Yamagata, obviously this global thing, but um, 
I guess Euro- European also just kind of growing uh, reverence for Weissman and his work and and giving him these exhibitions beyond uh, public media that had really typified the first half of his career. For sure. Um, I kind of wanted to talk about a, like a couple of miscellaneous things here. One of them being the Miami new times piece from 2013 by uh, a sure. B Kaplan. Um, so this was, this was something that is from the 20th anniversary screening of zoo at, at the Miami international film fest. Um, says he, he lets human beings behave and waits for the underguard, unguarded moments that show life as it is. Wiseman's films provide an intensely compassionate but naked glimpse at usually hidden aspects of society. And uh, there's a correspondence with Wiseman that's part of the piece. It sounds like he's like writing from Paris or something or mm. on the phone. I don't he know. was working on at Berkeley at the time, I think they said. Uh, yeah, yeah. And he, he says a lot of the stuff that, that we've heard before, but I liked this. Um, Wiseman says, in addition to being dramatic narratives... I also like to think that my films are a form of natural history. Man and animals inhabit the earth together. I am also interested in the various relationships between men and animals. And I don't know if I've ever heard him express it like that. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of like I was saying earlier, his his films are not contingent on like a sanctimonious animal rights perspective. Um, but I liked that we were seeing... Um, I like that in this piece, we are able to see a response or like the people that were there watching the, the film that were like a part of the actual place. Like this is their culture or, mm-hmm. you know, their state or whatever, or they, they love the zoo or whatever. Um, and here they are like responding in this piece um, to something like 20 years later. Um, so, you know, like he says, like it's a natural, it's a form of natural history. Um we usually kind of take that in more of like a, an abstract way. So like when we see something in, um, uh, what was the, Oh, in Aspen, like something I responded to was like the, the decor of, of the, the party, the, the 40th wedding anniversary party. Like that's not part of my history, Mm. but it reminds me of part of my history. Um, and, um, this, this piece, um, which talks about how much the zoo has changed in the 20 years prior, um, you know, referencing the, the hurricane, presumably, um, is actually able to look back on something that, that is their, their history. The piece ends with, um, with this line. But tonight we have a chance not only to witness one of the great masters at work, but also see Miami as it was 20 years ago. A piece of our city's past and a piece of ourselves preserved forever. Yeah, it's it's uh you know local local interest piece or bu- viewing this film from that context, which of course it's valuable, especially for something that's been lost essentially and had to be rebuilt, and it wasn't even called Miami Metro Zoo, I think, uh, anymore at this point. Zoo uh, Miami. But something you know the uh, thing you're talking about, like in Aspen, for me, you know the medical textual element of this film is strongly reinforced by just the constant presence of like prosumer camcorders in the Mm -hmm. film just like average joe shooting you know animals at the zoo uh not an unfamiliar sight for most um though it's probably more on our smartphones now um but for me you know this was like 
bring that's my dad you know i could i could see mm-hmm. him with his Same. like high eight camera you know strapped around his chest you know just whipping it around uh when he's ready <laughs> to shoot you know like like and that's that's uh a, i guess a part of our natural history that's largely lost right like for sure so but just seeing seeing these films develop in that way you know thinking back to meat and like the japanese uh tourists that are you know uh or the businessmen being taken there on tour to see how they might you know structure their own operations but they all have you know these relatively tiny you know film cameras that they're just kind of snapping on you know not, nothing like we see in zoo of course uh or aspen uh more humorously as the last trivia question uh discussed but like you know i think i think for me that that was a a bit you know fond nostalgia just kind of remembering how how big a piece our family's camcorder was like oh, in, in my upbringing yeah yeah my dad was an early adopter yeah um, I think my my i think uh my birth was shot on that camcorder <laughs> <laughs> do you revisit it often uh well uh no, I i've seen i've seen it though but it, yeah it worked out better than it did for the rhino oh and we're all better off for it um a couple a couple more like little things um we talked about the reporter that that shows up um to film this little piece uh with the gorilla getting its teeth uh brushed Mm -hmm. and member talks about how how it's in opposition to a wiseman film the way we talked about it in both maneuver and i believe it was death deaf sorry um when when they come to the baseball or basketball practice um but it's also another way that that these animals are serving a purpose for an outside set like an outside group of of human humans like this is on a certain level just content for this news station's like earth watch segment or whatever As interesting as it is to see a gorilla go through a physical, zoo officials want to do more than just pique public curiosity. They hope that through education, efforts will be made to save this species' nearly extinct wild cousin, the mountain gorilla. As interesting as it is to see a gorilla go through a physical, zoo officials want to do more than just pique public curiosity. They hope that through education, efforts will be made to save this species' Two, one. As interesting as it is to see a gorilla go through a physical, zoo officials want to do more than just pique public curiosity. They hope that through education, efforts will be made to save this species' nearly extinct wild cousin, the mountain gorilla. Okay. You want to do a tease, or do you want to? Uh, same same thing, or okay. A physical fit for a gorilla. I'm Kathleen Corsa with that story on the Earth Watch. Problem? Okay. Three, two, one. A physical fit for a gorilla. I'm Kathleen Corsa with that story on the Earth Watch. And and yeah, you know the the repetition as in those films, and also yes. just the uh, I guess metatextual element also of just like you know how is how is this different from what i'm doing how is it the same as what i'm doing he's doing yeah yeah yeah. he's shooting uh the same thing multiple times and then later choosing the best one yeah because he's there for so long yes good point do you want to i feel like you know there were there were maybe touched upon in the 
previous two films, but I feel like this is the first film we've really benefited from the new edition of Voyages of Discovery. Uh, in you know, oh, in yeah, terms of sure. like depth of coverage for a film that wasn't in the first edition. Yeah, yeah. Um, he yeah. So as I think I mentioned, yes, Barry Keith Grant. Um, he puts puts put, puts Zoo in the Blood of the Beast chapter, along with Meat Primate and Racetrack. Um, and then groups zoo and racetrack together as uh, films about amusement where the animals serve as amusement. Yeah. Um, and it's, he says in all of these films, the entire life cycle has been commodified, made unnatural. Um, what we were talking about with, uh, Laura Marks earlier. Um, but I think it, the, the distinction here is that this is the only institution of the four where an approximation of naturalism is a virtue, um, uh, albeit one that's impossible to achieve, you know, unless maybe you have the benefit of some cut branches you could stick in front of the camera. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like, like the, in, in all of the other ones, uh, primate racetrack meat, Nobody cares. Who cares what the animals think, right? They're so commodified that that there's no thought given to making them comfortable, per se, right? Or, or trying to approximate this natural life for them. Um, it's only extractive, like purely. And I mean, here, it's largely extractive. But there is that added element of trying to do something for them, you know, that that uh i guess elongates their lives and makes them to the best of the zoo's ability as like you know uh as much a a comfortable you know natural life as possible uh that kind of reminds me well one of barry keith grant's other lines um in the book talks about how there's a relatively long sequence of animatronics display, which makes explicit our objectification of animals. Yeah. And I, I, I like what he says. I think you can, I think there's more to say about the animatronics thing. I think it, it's, it's a, another one of like the film's great images. Um, it's so bizarre. It's, it's very bizarre. And it just like, it functions as, um, in juxtaposition with the real, with the shot of the real animals. And it also points at like this sort of like pretend nature of, of making a film. Um, you know, you can think of Jurassic Park, which came out the same year as this. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's fascinating that there's also this, this tent with these things going on. You can go and see them. I guess what's the idea that these are animals that we can't have because they're like dinosaurs? Yeah, well, I think there was like a great white shark. I mean, Sharks, it, it yeah. seemed like a mix of like just kind of general deep sea creatures uh, past and present. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a cool, it's a cool thing. It's, it's one of those things that it's like what Wiseman does really well, because he just understands the, um, he understands the resonance of images like that. Yeah. And, and it, able to place them. Well, it's another example that scene of like, Weissman and Davey benefiting from the production of the institution in ways that they're able to kind of co-opt for their own means the way like Mm -hmm. they're Mm -hmm. they're really interesting lit it's a very dark tent with these like spotlights almost on the animal animatronics animatronics Um, (laughs) (laughs) and and we we they keep 
returning to this one shirtless guy and cutoffs who's like just like filming things on his camcorder you know just kind of adding this other uh, absurd surreal layer to it um <laughs> oh yeah 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 very fit i was like what was this like i couldn't tell if he was part like part of the I mean, zoo he was just a guy yeah, yeah just a guy um he what i i grant also i have to give kudos for mentioning when talking about the incinerator and the way things are just yeah, yeah. thrown well not things but animals are thrown in <laughs> he references the city hall uh garbage truck which is just like you know on on a very like base level very satisfying to hear grant engaging with the second half yeah, of weissman's yeah. films that we've been denied thus far you know to to draw a connection to his most recent work you know just like novel uh at this point so i really yeah. enjoyed that um but the the he goes the other way with it too uh in previous films and drawing some connections i hadn't seen or considered before but saying like zoo is like the logical extension uh the logical extreme rather of the military films you know the idea of bodies doing a job right their entire body is the job uh yeah and, yeah and little else so i thought i thought that was a good characteristic grant uh comment as well yeah i mean there's there's plenty to say like uh i mean you could it would maybe be a bit forced but there's obviously on a spectrum zoo is of docility that we've talked about before we don't need to belabor it but um that that's what the zoo is doing here on a certain level um institutionally is creating like docile animals so that they can play a part so that they can you know perform yeah yeah i mean and and it's a it's a functional docility but they're they're still trying to maintain you know you still want to go and see like there's the the sequence from the documentary crew we see doing the like super fake stuff earlier where they're driving on top of a truck along like the tiger enclosure and it makes them kind of run along because like they're chasing the bird you know flying through that the that they represent mm-hmm. um, but they're they get these kind of dynamic you know yeah, dolly yeah. running shots you know that there is completely artificially produced but it's still sort of giving the sense that you know that they have some vitality to them when like you're saying you know the entire nature of the enterprise is to make them docile and that that they can be sort of goaded into this more natural exciting seeming behavior at the behest of people is like actually an example of that rather than uh something that counteracts it Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um the uh, member is uh talks about processing as he is wont to do um, he's smart to pay attention to how how something is being processed throughout. Uh, I didn't really think about it in the way we would in Meat or Belfast, but he points out some ways in Zoo that uh, primarily like medical services, um, but we also see the autopsy and food, obviously, um, where we see kind of like start to finish. I think the crocodile is a big part of that too uh, when they're moving him. There's also uh, a residence I didn't really, I don't know if, how much this is even worth mentioning, but when they're taking the crocodile in the, in the wooden box, like down the right. hall, like it just, it reminds you of like the near death scene, you know, mm-hmm. when they're taking the, the body down to the morgue. I mean, or, so, yeah, or right. yeah. Yeah. The, and, and I think you get to see um, a death. 
a body being buried in Monrovia at the end as well. Mm -hmm. uh, Paul Bear is um, in that as well. But anyway. Well, and, and thinking about the autopsy and processing and like the urtext of Weissman processing films, meat, like just thinking about the way these bodies are being broken down and dis dismembered uh, for different uh, purposes. Um, I, I, for some reason, I couldn't get out of my head the or before the the uh, necrop necropsy, um, whatever. But before the scene, the dismemberment, um, the vet calling around, being like, "We had a stillborn term female Indian rhino last night, and I'm getting ready to do her necropsy, and I'm distributing. I'm trying to figure out who gets what tissues, and I understand you're interested in reproductive tracts. Are you interested in one from a neonate? Uh, what do you want it informalin?" Just the entire tract. Okay, we'll try and save that for you. Like, are you interested in this dead rhino's like genitals? Basically, you know, like, like they're sort of like reserving different parts for different institutions to which it could be they could be valuable. Um, and then we're left with this kind of carcass, you know, right. uh, that's chucked into the incinerator. And just thinking about meat, which is, you know objectively like you know there's no altruism or like animal love in meat but there's nothing discarded in meat it's all right. put to use you know there's nothing there's no incinerator at monfort right like like the entire uh uh carcass every every bit of it is commodified uh and right made, made to serve the company um so that just in that, you know, we're locating a difference in ideologies and between these institutions and how they treat the animals that that are their charge. Um, There's a shot of the dial when the for when we first see the incinerator that is like it's very interesting. I don't know what all to make of it, but like he has a real close up of the person turning on the dial of the incinerator. Yeah, and then and then I guess the mirror the mirror sequence we touched on later whether they hunted this wild pit bull and they toss it in there and this was when uh so barry, barry keith grant was talking about the trash compactor but they yeah, just like I smack mean, its head against the side i mean you know? that's i think that's probably the hardest part for me to watch it or not yeah. even hard but it's just kind of brutal to watch right like, right they're before like, they're just like dragging its head on the gravel yeah. that was the hardest for me yeah for sure. and then yeah. throwing it in the truck yeah. and just kind of like kicking it around just like moving it around and then when it throws into the incinerator, like the head just like hits smacks. It's <laughs> like, oh man. Yeah. So maybe like that really adds to the hierarchy that we were talking about of like where this dog fits in. Um, and also the head like maggots already on it. It's pretty, pretty brutal. Also just the idea that's implied by the, the infrastructure of an incinerator on a zoo grounds that oh, yeah. gets enough use to justify its existence, right? Like all kinds of animals are being thrown in there for who knows what reasons, right? And we, we in this short two hours, we see two of them, mm -hmm. um, you know, which means Weissman uh, saw at least two over his six weeks at the zoo. Um, you may have seen more, but like, like, you know, that, that incinerator gets fired up and used a fair deal. I think we can, we can infer. Yeah. Great shot of it when he gets the whole chimney, like puffing out. Which, yeah. 
<laughs> you know, animal holocaust maybe is a is a bit too extreme, yeah. but um, that's kind of what I was know, thinking about the yeah, dial. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. anyway, do you have anything else on Zoo? Um, you know, it's a good movie. Like things <laughs> <laughs> <Bangs> gravel. <laughs> um, you know, I th- uh, we we get into it with Lance, but this, just this ideal of trying to create and preserve this bubble that is distinct from everything else around it. Um, the the impossibility of that endeavor, you know, the, the the defenses always break down. Um, Mm -hmm. there's, it's, Mm -hmm. it's just this futile endeavor. Um, I think that's, you know, a common Weissman theme and could probably be, uh, seen metaphorically to you know other institutions and other human experiences for sure sinai field mission um yeah a whole bunch of stuff um but yeah okay great uh great discussion with lance um and also watch his film some some kind of heaven um which is widely available and is uh, a great watch yeah. Uh, you can email us at wisemanpodcast at gmail.com if you want this book. You gotta figure out what what uh, what they're eating at the Feast with the Beasts. Uh, we look forward to, to the responses. Thank you. Until next time. Bye. Caballito chontaleño de mi tierra Welcome back to Wiseman Podcast. We're here with our guest, Lance Oppenheim, a filmmaker behind the 2020 nonfiction film Some Kind of Heaven, as, long, as well as um, many other shorts. Uh, how are you doing, Lance? Hey, I'm good. Thanks for having me. 
Our nice pleasure. to be with you guys. Thanks for yeah. being here. So you are our Florida correspondent for this episode. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. You're from Born Florida. And bred. Okay. I'm a. I grew up in uh, Weston, Florida, so kind of in between Miami and Fort Lauderdale, and not really close to anything that exciting. I was trying to remember if I've been to the Miami Zoo. I was going to ask. Yeah, you know, I don't. I, I'm sure I have at some point or another. I don't remember. Um, but I wish I had. I mean, if I go now, <laughs> it'd be awesome. And I'll be like the, you know, I wonder how many people are going to the Miami Zoo and, you know, have seen Zoo. Yeah. Probably a handful. And I wonder what it looks Probably like Probably some, yeah. Not I wonder really. what it looks like post-hurricane, because right. that was like mm. right after this was shot. Um so you know what happened with the uh, oh sorry sorry no 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 I was just going to ask why you picked a zoo uh, is it the Florida connection um, or is there something else you you wanted to no you know, it's funny I feel like uh, I'm trying to remember when we when we first spoke about doing this it was a while ago so I think I was coming out of um, I probably had just finished making my film and I was thinking about other Florida films and and. Um, that could be in conversation with, um, with some kind of heaven, but yeah, I mean, I, I mean, watching it back now, it, it makes a lot of sense. It's like interesting. <laughs> I, I had this dialogue going with myself when I when I chose it. Um, I think there's something interesting about like the way we've mutated nature, or you know, in our attempts to control it, and then uh, what what the mutation does back to us, and <laughs> um, you know. I feel like in, in, in Glimmers, the first like hour and a half of this movie feels pretty uh, docile or something. You know, mm-hmm. the, the work you're seeing and the people gawking at the creatures, it, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's very relaxing. It feels like you're watching a, you know, a nature documentary. And then the, the, the more it goes on, the more you, you start to see, um, yeah, just just how impossible it is to control anything. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes, yeah, how, how, how sad it all is too. I love all the reactions like throughout the movie um, when they're doing the autopsy on the, the, the dead rhino and when they're just cutting open creatures and seeing the guts and stuff and you just start watching it all play out on these uh, seem, seemingly a little bit ambivalent uh, people who are there. And, you know, yeah, I mean, there's, there's just some pretty indelible, there's images that I feel like will kind of remain seared in your brain after you see mm-hmm. it. Like the, the, uh, is it the rabbit that gets knocked in the head a few <laughs> times and then it's just squirming Jeez. in the bucket. bucket. It's, it's pretty brutal. Yeah. Um, that anyway. reminded me of like, um, I mean, I guess, I guess it's appropriate to bring up, but, but in primate when, um there's just a brief shot of like a, a cage on wheels. That's kind of just wiggling back and mm-hmm. forth, mm-hmm. you know, the implication <laughs> that there's a, some kind of ape inside, but like, you know, the, the horror of the unseen animal, but who's not, nevertheless present. Um, but I mean, you know, this, this, I bring it up, I guess, to talk about, you know, this being sort of the bookend with primate of this series of like films focused on animals and like 
really humans dominions over animals and then how Weissman can uh, use that as like a launching board to look at, you know, human structures and interactions, you know, much more broadly uh, through allegory. But like, so, so primate meat, racetrack, zoo, I mean, maybe racetrack accepted a little, but like we've talked about these films being kind of atypical for Weissman because they're, they're kind of quiet. They're like relatively uh, few meetings, you know, relatively little context Mm -hmm. uh, or like discussion or dialogue at all. We're really, um, you know, I guess uh, we've talked a lot about Weissman's like multiple perspective technique. uh, And in these films where you're spending a lot of time with animals, you know, it can't help but uh, occupy the perspective of those animals uh, through, you know, Weissman's approach. So that like kind of just naturally leads to uh, this, you know, we we're just funny. We were just talking about Temple Grandin, uh, first person episode before the call, but she talks about like, um, through her autism, like th- thinking that she views the world in the way animals do, like, which is through pictures, uh, rather than language. And I think there's something like, uh, very, if, if we're going to just take that face value, very like animal-esque about these films and this film in particular. Hmm. Mm. Um, yeah, that's interesting in terms of like thinking about perspective, because like, like Lance was saying, the first hour and a half of this film, especially like I'd say the first hour, it, it is a lot of like these uh, shots of animals um, that are pretty like tame um, shots and, you know, like Davy being a, um, you know, Nat Geo yeah. that you can kind of like, um, see that experience here. And there's also something about like, you know, shooting them in this close up where it looks like it could be in nature and then like juxtaposing that with stuff that they're, when they're clearly not in nature. But, um, Lance, I was struck by something you were, you were saying about like, um, manipulating nature and ways that like it, what it does back to us, because I think that that correlates quite strongly with your film, some kind of heaven, like, uh, this like biosphere that they've created or tried to create that um, is, is like, you know, they try to make impenetrable. And obviously one of the figures in your film does penetrate this bubble. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it actually reminds me a lot of uh, Wiseman's canal zone um, as this, like trying to create this, this, this uh, perfect place. Um, and they obviously mutate it. You know, there, you, you have this stuff about, uh, the fake history that they put in, which is really funny. Um, but what, what was your approach? Like when you started making that, like, um, I assume you knew about this place and thought it would have like characters, but like, so you end up following like four kind of groups, um, like subjects. Uh, but was that your intention to like find people or was it something else? Yeah. It's a good question. I mean, I think I look back at a lot of it and I, I was so kind of stumbled into it, like ass backwards a little, I knew, I knew the place was interesting and I had made a film before some kind of heaven that was um, about a guy who sort of gave up all of his relationships and earthly possessions to live on a cruise ship full time and plan to die there. And, um, 
I guess I was curious, I was fascinated by this idea of people who are around that age that were like, you know, 70 and up that were choosing to leave the, you know, society that we live in to be in something that reminded them of their youth. Um, and that was, that was where the villages, you know, stuck out to me just cause it was the biggest in the country. It's, uh, not so far away from where my grandparents live and it's about four hours away from me. Um, but when I got there, I mean, I was just, it was like, yeah, it was, it was I mean, it was, it, it was impossible to figure out how to start thinking mm. and structuring a film. And I did think about Wiseman actually a, a quite a bit in the beginning, just in the way he talks about, um, trying to locate the power structures in the community and, mm-hmm. and kind of going from there. And, um, so initially when I got there, I was like, maybe I should try and do something where I follow the, um, you know, the family that, that runs this place. And mm-hmm. It would be so interesting to see how from top down, how the, uh, the image is constructed and, um, you see sort of the Ed Harris, you know, Truman show, type people that are <laughs> imagineering this place and you see all the the just the pawns that are on the chessboard that are corresponding with um their you know the choices from above um but very quickly even you know I, I i was turned away and um kind of pushed out because uh, i would go to the office and i was trying to take no i wouldn't take no as an answer and then i kind of was just left with like well what else can i do here and i started going to different clubs i started thinking you know that, that idea of a power structure stayed in my mind and i you know realized very quickly that the whole community was organized around clubs and you know even if i couldn't get to the top of um the administration that was developing the place i could at least burrow into these different groups mm-hmm. and um Anyway, long story short, I went to these places and I realized that the most interesting characters actually weren't the ones that were orchestrating the fun. It was really the people that were on the on the margins of that. Um, and I think it was more of an emotional thing than anything. I kind of I related a lot. You know, I was I mean, we've all gone to prom, you know, uh, maybe maybe some of the people didn't. But in high school, every time I would go to prom, I was like miserable. And I felt like um, I kind of, you know, I went I went with the. Uh, someone who each year I'd go with, I was hoping, you know, something romantic would happen and nothing did. And I just was kind of uh, put on the sidelines and I'd watch everyone dancing and, you know, kissing and stuff. And I just was kind of uh, twiddling my thumbs. And uh, that was sort of what I was seeing, you know, there rather than it just being momentary, you know, uh, a a night to build up to in, in in your life. It was really like, you know, every moment of every day, took on this pretty staggering significance because you were surrounded by death so mm-hmm. constantly. So anyway, I, it started from a more Wiseman type place and then it kind of became something um, maybe more emotional that I, um, mm-hmm. I, I took a left turn and realized that, you know, focusing on the micro um, would yield maybe a bigger, uh, bigger thing. I guess. What, what was their rationalization for like turning you away from, from more <laughs> access? I mean, I, I, for them, I, the Morse family is, that's their name. They're, they're, I mean, they're billionaires at this point from uh, creating what, you know, the villages. Um, and I think they've been burned in the past. It's also just interesting. I mean, the family has really followed uh, ever since Harold Schwartz, like three generations ago in their family, 
who had created the place, they followed this rule of just not really interacting with the press. Um, and the family has really, you know, significant political ties to, to you know, they, to, originally it was George Bush Sr. and then George Bush Jr. and then uh, Trump. Um, they're, you know, so I, I think maybe they just consider most like I was coming in being like, hey, I'm, you know, a college student and I was at the time. Um, I want to make a film for my senior thesis about this place. Um, I think they maybe assumed that I was a liberal or something and <laughs> didn't want to deal with me. And the fact that I'm, you know, a Jew and look the way I do, maybe that also yielded some, some results. <laughs> That the you know the irony is that the villages was actually founded. Harold Schwartz was a Jewish man, and um, <laughs> over time, uh, I think he ended up marrying a, a, a non-Jew, and then uh, the family actually changed their name to the Morse family to sound less Jewish, mm. so they could buy a bunch of land from probably some anti-Semitic uh, land you know owners, farmers, and such in, in Central Florida. I vaguely remember, didn't they like? post notes about you around yeah. town or like send out some kind of communication, like be on the lookout for this guy. Like, yeah, they did. Um, yeah. I mean, it basically ended up being this thing where they said no. And then I, they, they sent an email to me saying like, uh, you should focus on the residents. And, and so I used that as a, as ammunition. Anytime anyone would stop me from filming in you know, in their spaces, I'd show that email um, and then that got back to the administration and they were just like, get the fuck out of here that we don't want you yeah. here. And so it ended up being this thing where, yeah, they'd send a picture of me and send name, you know, write my name down. If I was filming at like a local business there, um, which they would own obviously too, because they own everything there. Yeah. Um, it, it was almost like a digital wanted poster was sent around. <laughs> and so I do these things that were very sneaky. Like I'd buy construction vests, um, you know, and pretend to be like a, um, you know, a construction film crew or, you know, documenting the development of the place or I'd buy shirts that said the villages on it. And I pretended to be like an employee of the, of the grounds. <laughs> and uh, it would, it would help us for at least a little bit before we were kicked out. Um, I guess it, it would make sense that, that you were able to, to cling on to Dennis then um, <laughs> somebody who was yeah. kind of, you know, trying to do the same thing. Um so were you, how were you able to curry favor enough with some of the, the residents to be like in these very intimate uh, situations? Well, I think that, you know, the administration is so removed from the daily life oh, of the okay. people who, who, um, you know, who live in their, uh, yeah, their sandbox. Um, I, re I really just started showing up and just, just saying, you know, Hey, I want to make a film about this place. I don't know where to point the camera. Can you help me? And then, um, people would tell me you should talk to this person or that person. And, um, yeah, I just be kind of became after talking to so many people who just loved it so much, I guess I was, I was interested in the people who, who were struggling with, with fitting in there. And it just kind of became something that, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, I was graduating college at the time and everyone there felt like they were in college again. So there was this mm -hmm. commonality maybe <laughs> between, where I was in life and where they wanted to be in life. Um, but yeah, all of it's really interesting. I mean, it's funny cause I'm, I'm, I'm finishing something new and, and I was able to finally do the thing that I probably set out to do the first time around, which is, you know, follow a, a, a kind of interesting setting and look at the, 
you know, follow the power broker or the, you know, the person that was, is making all the rules. And, um, and yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I, there, there are limitations to that approach too. I, I envy Wiseman and the way he's <laughs> able to, in, even in reading this thing, I just sent over to guys, the sketch of a life, rereading that like 40 page forward that he wrote for one of his books. He talks about the way he goes about getting access and it's, also straightforward you know he he talks about um writing very detailed uh emails and or letters saying these are the sequences i want to shoot this is the amount of time it's going to take um do you want to do it or not and if people say no he doesn't bother he just gives up and moves on to the next thing whereas with the project i'm working on now i i um there was, it's like a series of no's all the time. And it's sort of like, well, how do I, well, you know, how would I, how would you say yes? What, what would you be interested in filming or just kind of weaseling your way in until uh, people feel comfortable enough or at least sort of forget that you're there. Um, I think anyway, the benefit yeah. of, t- of, of a different era. Um, and then like, yeah. you know, like, um, and also, you know, having this like PBS, thing behind him whereas by now sure. he's like a legend but like i mean in the 90s i can imagine he said zoo was the uh the miami zoo was the first zoo he asked and they said yes but i can just imagine <laughs> wow. there's less skepticism in the 90s yeah. than there would be now it makes yeah. a lot of sense i mean i'm curious how they what they thought of the film um if if they uh you know where he said he showed it to them um sounded sounded like reactions were mixed uh but but you know thinking back to primate uh again like that that had a very like vocal and public uh reaction from yerkes primate research center you know that just wasn't present here they they did the zoo and weissman did like a, a press conference kind of thing um, around the release of the film, you know, uh, with a spokesperson there and, and, you know, they, they, wow. it, it That's seemed, amazing. it seemed like the zoo was looking at it as, as publicity, you know, basically, ah. you know, and that, that this is what we do at the zoo, you know, this is what we have to offer, you know, it's just, it's just a, uh, kind of no, or all, all press is good press idea, uh, was the impression I got from it. Well, it's, I mean, primate is so is is uh, I feel like by comparison, it takes on a much more visceral I feel like reaction to any of the the characters. I mean, here I feel like we spend probably more time with the creatures than we do with um, you know, the the, the humans. It's, maybe it's a fifty fifty split, but every time you know, I don't even remember any of their names, but the man with the mustache or. You know, I mean, it's the one thing that's striking in the film, uh, similar to Primate, I guess, is just how it's like, it's kind of amazing how, how stylish everyone is and how young they are, the staff of the zoo. And they all feel so, um, um, no one seems particularly disillusioned. They all seem so excited about what they do on a daily basis and so in tune with, um, you know, the lives of, of, of the, the animals that they're tasked with monitoring i guess like the 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 rhino um yeah the death of the rhino scene it's like the the person trying to resuscitate it is seems more emotionally affected by it than the where Mm -hmm. you know it's stupid to you know anthropomorphize emotions onto a rhino maybe but 
the rhino just sort of considers it and yeah, yeah. it's like, oh, it's dead. Yeah. It's done, you know, and then walks away. And the humans uh, are are around it trying to... Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's so really much going on in that in that scene, and that's a huge part of it is is getting to watch this rhino just kind of like who's been in labor for twenty months, just like have this stillborn and then just walk off, and like this is the natural reaction. This is nature. I mean, obviously the this rhino is is within the zoo, but this natural reaction to having a stillborn is to just like you walk away, and but the zoo has other things like it has more on the line with this than this rhino does like uh, for sure you know and and the vet uh, i think her name's christine miller um i mean she she's she's doing her job and she cares a lot about these animals but the zoo also has like you know there's a reason why they got the the rhino pregnant so that they could have a baby rhino and um, shipped them to fe- shipped her to Philadelphia to yeah. get pregnant. Yeah, <laughs> so the, that's a whole thing. And I love yeah, at the end. Yeah, he's just uh, it's yeah. like so we'll start all over again. You know the, the circular <laughs> uh, lives of everyone continue on. It's amazing. I mean, the, the other thing I wanted to talk about too, which which um, we were talking a little bit about before, but um, I, I I I still find it amazing to me that that Wiseman considers the movies he makes as um, films and not documentaries. Like he, mm-hmm. he actively dislikes the label of it. And um, yeah, there, there's something so interesting to me about that. I mean, in, in the sketch of a life thing, he says that there's structured stories at the beginning, middle and end with some elements in common with feature films and forms of fiction. They are not documents explaining the social structure of a community. And um I feel like for anyone who watches the movies, in, including Zoo, I would, I would probably consider the opposite to be true. Um, but there are little moments, and you know, well, they're not little. I mean, sort of scattered across the movie, where he is using the language of narrative filmmaking. You know, he is um, stitching together. You know, he, there's a lot of choreographed moments where he has to have people stop and start. I imagine we were talking about like moments where he's shooting in the back of a truck. And then it cuts to the exterior and it's a nice wide shot with a few moments mm-hmm. of nothingness until the car comes in. Um, but I'm always fascinated by all this. And I, and I wonder even like the sound design mm-hmm. of this, mm-hmm. I, I, um, you know, does he stop and like put law of mics on people? I guess. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. And it's interesting that he considers in the same sketch of a life thing, he talks about how, most documentary subjects don't are, are naturally unperformative, you know, that they, um, if you just do your job, right, that they, they, uh, they don't know how to act. And so they just kind of exist. I I feel like my experience with making stuff is, I mean, I definitely, what I, what I love that he does, it's like, I do, I try and do the same thing where, you know, every moment is very much, um, designed or, you know, I'm kind of riffing off of reality in a specific sort of way. Uh, but I definitely disagree with him, at least on the <laughs> part of the performance side. I mean, I think that's sort of like, I think we all, even right now, I feel like I'm performing for you guys. If you guys think I'm rambling or something, then I, uh, you know, I'll get in my head and I'll try and speak uh, better, uh, or, you know, talk, well, I, talk in a I mean, more I think, smart way or something. I think uh, that's uh, one of the other like huge, uh, like connections, thematic connections between some kind of heaven and Wiseman's work is this idea of performance. Um, you know, there's so much uh, that these people are doing. I mean, obviously I'm sure they're performing in part for you, but they're also performing 
a part in the villages, you know, or they're performing a part in their marriage. Um, it's, it's all over, um, the place, but, uh, but yeah, in zoo, I remember the first time I watched it and it starts with like the first like human that we see is this elephant, elephant, like tamer. She's doing these tricks yeah. with the elephants. Move up. Trunk. Move up, Moja. She knows it too. <laughs> Move up, Moja. Move up, McLean. Move up, Moja. Move up, Moja. Move up, McLean. McLean, Moja. Mary. Waltz, Moja. Move up, tail. Tail up, McLean. Tail up, Moja. And it took me a while to be like, how is he getting the sound of her like voice? And then it's like, oh yeah, okay. Uh, he like, you know, they know the schedule of the day. So they go, okay, like I'm going to love you up before you start this thing and then we'll film it. Um, but yeah, there's stuff like, like you were talking about with the, the trucks or like the delivery of the disgusting, uh, banana egg salad, um, <laughs> which we get to see this great process from getting to end, but like he's shooting the, these trucks or the whatever, and he's inside, he's outside and they're backing up. And then there's all this like continuity match stuff. And it's just crazy. Like that he's able to, to, to catch this stuff. It, and it just goes by without you really like noticing unless you're really like studying like his, his technique, I guess. Um, and I, I'm guessing a lot of it comes out of like seeing or like, you know, he's there for more days so he can catch like he is cheating on these edits, you know, is is that process yeah, that yeah. we saw really the uh, took place in the same day or he's like, you know what, next week while I'm here because he was here for 42 days next week, I'm going to catch him doing the, the banana drop off. And uh, I'll splice it all together to, you know, I'll, I'll have different coverage on, on different weeks. Well, yeah, I'm curious, like, how, how often does he intervene? And, you know, will, will he let a moment just play out and shoot it, you know, and, and without interruption? And then will he get, will he pick up shots with people afterwards? Because mm. I figure that that's really where, you know, and just, I feel like that's where performance comes from, really. You know, anytime he's like in the banana I guess that's a fair, that's a fairly continuous thing. Um, but you know, there's so many close-ups and of, of, uh, that are, are separate cutaways of just yeah, yeah. hands or even the stuff with the eggs later on when people are looking at things and it feels like, um, there were more than one camera that would, that, right. that was presumably there, but obviously there isn't. And that's, that's something that I also, you know, I've been shooting something. I mean, I pr predominantly shoot with one camera too. And, um, uh, the cinematographer that I, I work with a lot, David Boland, it's, it's usually like we, we follow a similar thing where we are constantly shooting, even in like conversations, I'll, um, I'll shoot, you know, a, a kind of a master thing and then I'll come in and be on someone for a while. And at the end mm -hmm. I'll do pickup lines with the other person who, um, you know, if we missed anything, um, and it's, it's, it's amazing to see Wiseman. Uh, I don't know if he's doing that exactly, but at least the same, uh, uh, logic maybe follows through and it's, I don't know. It's interesting to me when everyone that like, there are people uh, that make documentaries that, uh, that, that um, consider Wiseman the, the great purist of Verite <laughs> cinema. Yeah, yeah. It's just funny because Verite cinema, I just, I don't think it really, 
I think it's it's ridiculous to to think that like yeah. verite movies don't contain fictional devices in them or yeah you know Dennis Lim I remember I had him in, I had him in college as a lecturer and he talked a lot about how uh, you know the non you know nonfiction the non and nonfiction is a very reductive uh, thing to say given that nonfiction work generally attempts to follow the same you know narrative techniques that you'd find in fiction films and um anyway yeah 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 for sure yeah i mean the the elephant uh opening scene i think is a good example because like my my assumption is that they shot the performance one performance and then they probably the next performance or the next day when it was on the schedule you know focused on the audience and they probably because the her voice is continuous throughout that scene, but we're getting all these cutaways and, you know, you could say like, well, is that dishonest? And like, but it's like, you know, it's just people reacting to the same show. So, I mean, it's, it's approximating the experience yeah. and cinematic language. His only, uh, his only sort of like, uh, task for himself is, is to do right by the people he films. Right. So like, yeah. it's not like some sort of, uh, yeah, he's not going for purity. It's more of just like, am I fairly representing what they were doing? Totally. And like, like, right. um, I, I think to the scene where it really stark out, uh, Lance, what you were talking about too, is these sort of pauses and moments when they're wrangling the crocodile, like into that box from the pool. And you get this kind of medium shot of, this animal sticking its head out of the brush and then a lasso goes around it and then cut where like 180 degrees on the other side of uh of the crocodile looking at who's lassoing her and you know then the scene continues you know so i mean i i gotta imagine there was a reposition there that was yeah. ex excised in the edit you know but otherwise you know i mean it seemed like a long kind of process but i mean that's something else just revisiting some kind of heaven you know i think you know you you have on in full display is you know this sort of technique of condensing scenes uh you know i'm thinking of a uh, uh, barbara at the nail salon you know the, oh, yeah. these long takes uh, these long conversations and then you kind of like cut away to you know maybe the hands or maybe barbara's face and you know kind of condensing the scene and another statement is said when you go back to the nail tech uh, speaking um but i think too just something else you touch on this idea of performance you know i wonder how that operates in a film like some kind of heaven which is very like character oriented you know where we're living with people in a way that we don't typically do in weissman's films where you know you could kind of imagine someone seeing him filming at a zoo or something and him just being like i'm just making a movie about a zoo you know don't worry about me or whatever <laughs> you know there's no like real relationship there in the way i'm sure you had to build relationships with the, mm -hmm. the characters you were following in your film um but the you know also wanted to to touch about um just sort of this idea of like movies and cinematic genre and all these things, because I mean, that's something that really makes some kind of heaven sing, right? Is like your uh, adopting of like kind of these almost like indie film genre flourishes, you know, like like um, 
just the the color grading of it, the music, of course, you know, the cinematography, this sort of, you know, square, uh, symmetrical look that, um, you know, you can you can draw comparisons to like Wes Anderson or something. But like there there there's all this cinematic language that you're employing in in service of like telling the story of the villages cinematically. And I think, you know, it's 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 maybe less on display in zoo uh than you know thinking about this series again like we talked about meat with like cowboy and western imagery you know but um i think it's it's a tradition you know that weissman has claimed you know he always says that he does this um and and i think you've sort of picked up the ball and and adapted it to a contemporary sensibility in like a really effective way Oh, wow. Well, th- hey, thanks. Yeah, no, it's interesting that like, uh, that there's a lot of nice moments in Zoo where, where you, you see the built environment around the natural, you know, and, and the the, the um, tram that's looks very mm-hmm. futuristic. It seems like you're, it's not, it's almost instantaneous. He punctures the, 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 the dividing line between like the, the creatures you're watching and, and the humans and finding ways in which the the stairs of where the people gawking at the, the animals are, you know, we look so animalistic in comparison to them, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. You know, I, I think my, my whole thing is really just about, it's like finding, um, I usually start with the setting of a place and then I kind of just explore it until I find something that, that, um, that makes sense to me emotionally. And then I try and, go from there and but i guess really that's the setting is the thing that dictates the stylistic approach you know so for the villages it was a lot of i was just thinking about how manicured it was and how um deeply yeah meticulously manufactured it is and that being one of the the main things that it draws that you know attracts people to live there is this feeling of being in like a the 1950s American vision of excellence or something like, uh, it, it looks like leave it to beaver. It looks like all of the shows you'd watch, you know, when you were, when you were a kid, if you were that age. Um, so a lot of it was just, how do we, how, how do we visualize that? How do we make every frame, uh, feel production designed or just, you know, riff off of what the place is already doing. And a lot of ways it's, I was thinking about like Larry Sultan and, you know, the, the, the Valley, the photo series he did about, you know, porn, porn sets in the, in the seven, the eighties, I think it was, and how he would use their lighting setups to, um, shoot these pictures that felt like, you know, film stills. Um, but most of it was really, you know, kind of like this movie too. It was really like the moments you don't want to see on a porn set, you know, or like the, yeah. It's interesting that Zoo is also, it's like, I, I, it's not a particularly salacious movie and I kind of, I like it for that. You know, it's not like trying to be, I mean, obviously Blackfish didn't exist then, but it's not attempting to be the searing yeah. critique of, uh, of anything. I mean, it feels more like a Rorschach. You can read into mm-hmm. it any which way. I mean, I think that it's interesting. I, I don't know why the, the decision, I'm sure there's a lot of reasoning behind it that I just, you know, you're, you're not privy to in the film, but it, it does seem a little barbaric when they when they do the autopsy of the baby rhino like on the pavement and they're just you know totally, yeah. smearing the organs and the juice and all this like <laughs> trying to hold up the, the shit, just on the gravel you know? trying yeah. to hold up the ears. Uh, 
yeah take a picture I, I, with that it. scene that scene made me wonder if the razor head baby might have been like a fetal <laughs> rhino just the way that head yeah looks. i think one one of the like the thing that we're kind of talking about um maybe we're uh, the, the stuff that we're talking about in terms of um nonfiction filmmaking and, and fictional um, devices and yada, yada. Uh, I, I think in, in a lot of ways, the zoo is kind of about, is about that. Um, there are so many like analogs yeah. between the zoo and this, like, you know, this film making whatever that's going on in zoo, like that he catches that are like, you know, making this fake uh, nature stuff. You know, there's like the, the guy's holding up the palm fronds in front of the camera while they're shooting this tiger in the, in the water. And, um, and Wiseman kind of like the same thing he did with model, the documentary set on, on model where, you know, they're shooting this guy taking a shower. looks like he doesn't have clothes on. Of course we can see he does. Um, mm. and it's like, oh, I need to see it. Yeah. I need it. I've been wanting oh, yeah. to see model for so long. It's, it's fantastic. Top of the heat. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's very similar to zoo in, in this sense of it's very much about image making and, deconstructing you know he's deconstructing the model agency the same way he's deconstructing the zoo and it's not um it's not like you said it's not a like a searing critique i think um this film crew that he sees in zoo is uh in many ways like him saying this is what i'm doing here like even though i'm not Mm -hmm. like pretending to you know make this what it's not like in a lot of the ways i'm making choices the same way that they're that this you know uh fake nature doc is making choices. Um, He's also, he's also though, I think surely, you know, pointing to his own technique and the, and drawing similarities and distinctions. But I think it's, it's also looking, uh, applying it to the nature of the institution of zoos in general, Mm, right? right. Like the, this curation of, a reality and an experience, mm-hmm. you know, through the, the excising of um, all these external elements that don't fit or match. Right. Like, like, uh, yeah. Like, you know, talking about um, shoot uh, Dennis, was it? Uh, yeah. Dennis. Yeah, De- Dennis is like the feral pit bull of some kind of, <laughs> yeah, habit, exactly. Right? Who's like, who's like yeah. snuck in and like, you know, you have, I guess uh, if we're going to continue that analogy, it's like you have uh, seemingly, you know, the same as anyone else we see throughout the villages. You know, he looks like he fits in at the, with the parrot heads, you know. Well, the like, first shot, you don't know that he place. does belong Yeah, there. right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But, but there is some quality about him that to, you know, the administration uh, separates him, you know, the same way like this, okay, this, this dog, right? It's an animal, right? Mm-hmm. It goes in the zoo. We saw the wolf get castrated mm-hmm. earlier. You yeah, know, yeah. This seems to be under the purview of the zoo. Yet, uh, no, this is like something from outside that doesn't belong here. And like, we, we're going to like so find a solution to this like right now, you know? Mm. Well, I wonder, you know, it's going back to the performance thing. I wonder if it's just also like, a, you know, if I'm curious how he would feel you guys should ask him when you see him again. Um, you know, in this, in this sketch of a life thing, he, he says, does the camera change behavior? There is no definitive answer to that question other than maybe sometimes, but for the most part, no. In my experience, most people are not good enough actors to suddenly change their behavior because their picture is being taken and their voice recorded. Anyway, I feel like I, I'm, I'm curious if that just has changed, you know, with, with just 
the people being aware everyone, of docs yeah, be, and be, stuff. Yeah, yeah, being aware of documentaries, being aware of their image, being aware of the, like, I, I think the biggest thing I run into now is I like to be transparent with people about where the film that I'm making is going to live. Right. And, mm-hmm. um, but some kind of heaven, it was, it was sort of a different experience because it started off as, you know, my thesis in college and then it transformed into something else. Um, but the films I'm working on now, I usually just say like, yeah, I'm making, you know, this is going to be here. It's, it's going to be on HBO or whatever. And um, it does, you know, it does absolutely change their yeah. behavior and in ways that sometimes are, 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 are very much, um, hmm. I think kind of interesting actually. And it's like, uh, I, 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 I think in a lot of ways, like the performance or at least people attempting to be someone that they aren't, um, or maybe they're pretend or, or they're, pre- they are pretending to, they're not pretending to be anybody other than themselves, but there's, they're, they're so, um, uh, like there are moments in this new thing I'm working on where the performance is, you could tell people are acting in a way, but it feels, uh, it feels fake, but it also feels somehow like extreme, extremely real in other moments. And I, I find that to be really interesting mm-hmm. in some ways. I almost wonder if it's like the most true way to make a documentary is actually just to lean into that and mm-hmm. um, yeah. try and find the moments where, as an audience, you know, obviously you never want to take people out of it, but I think if you just stop thinking about documentaries as like a, at least the things I want to make as like accurate, purely representational, um, stories and, and more just like these, you know, I'm working with the people on, on screen and I'm, you know, taking real things that are happening in people's lives. But the moment the camera's introduced, it becomes sort of hyper real or unreal. Yeah. Sounds um, like the Robert Greene uh, methodology. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was totally. going to say uh, another previous guest, John Wilson, um, the episode with the Bang Energy CEO, he just walks in and he says, I'm making a show with HBO. And they're like, come into my house. Let me give you a tour, you know? And you're right. Yeah. Like, I think it. there's something, even though it is a performance, It's he's very clearly conscious of like being filmed and portraying himself in a particular way the way he performs for this perceived audience does tell you something true about his character and his values, I think. Yeah. Right, right, right. And he makes the example, at least in this thing about law and order and the police officer who, uh, you know, bangs up the prostitute that they find. And it's like, he thinks he's doing the, he, what he's doing in the moment maybe is amplified because there's a camera there and he wants to make an example and he thinks he's doing it. And I'm sure even in high school or any of these films he's made, you know? Uh, yeah. I remember him saying stuff about like, well, you know, they're willing to do that in front of a camera, um, which, which tells you something at least in the law and order <laughs> case. But, um, Oh, I was going to say, uh, also on like sort of like a smaller, uh, note of like performance in the camera, um, when we talked recently with his cameraman, John Davey, he talked about like a moment in, I think it was at Berkeley where he could tell out of the corner of his eye that like one guy, whenever he would like pan over to him, would take his <laughs> yeah. glasses off. And, uh, so, you know, then they just kind of like, he, he, he tries to work around that. Um, but yeah. So, I mean, wow. That's interesting. Why, why is that? Cause he, just, he didn't like his glasses or something. Yeah. I think it was like, like dramatic effect oh, kind of during <laughs> conversation. Oh, you know? I see. Like, like, yeah. wow, wow. <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah. 
that's interesting. That's what I took it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting. Yeah. The other thing I've always been inspired by with him is, you know, you know I'm curious because you guys have been into this way more, even hearing about the zoo press conference, like how, how did he manage? I know on Titicut Follies, obviously that was the big famous story where, you know, it couldn't, he got sued or whatever. Right. And he couldn't show it within, yeah. uh, in, in Massachusetts. Right. Um, yeah. And then I remember there was a similar thing in high school. Wasn't there like a, the gym teacher who's talking about the um, like private parts on a, <laughs> on people or something. And he, I forget what he says, but it's like, I remember hearing something about how he showed the movie to the, to, to everyone in it and they were really happy and then yeah, yeah. and they saw it with an audience right, right. And then, the, yeah. yeah reviewers came out and kind of pointed out what he was doing and yeah yeah which is the same same with primate primate didn't have an issue until it came out and uh, reactions started to come in and they said well wait a second you know well i think that's the other thing about it's just it's interesting about making documentaries in general you know it's it's and maybe there's some level, at least in the villages, with everyone who was in that film, because it was, we were shooting it in such a, you know, in a way where every shot had to be, we were on tripod, so I had to, yeah. Um, either it was like working with the things that were happening in front of us, or it was like suggesting things to happen, you know, and, and very chaotic, like kind of introducing chaos into the mix. Mm-hmm. It was always about like, we can't fictionalize things, but if we introduce something that someone may do but maybe not they wouldn't they're not doing it right now um then at the very least you know there'd be some entropy and something real would come out of that mix um but anyway because of doing stuff like that it was always we'd always have to sort of explain ourselves in the moment like this is why we're doing this and this is what this is going to further we think in the story and when you know when reggie and ann and dennis and barbara and all them they saw the film i mean i think they were initially shocked because uh, <laughs> you know they're in a movie um yeah. but they all really they were like oh yeah that's what happened you know that's that's that makes sense i remember we shot this this way for this reason and it almost felt like at least their relationship with it they felt like they were actors in a movie about based on their life mm-hmm. versus like um you know but anyway the new things i'm working on i'm not sure i mean it's it's unclear <laughs> how yeah I'm, I'm making these two films and one of them is done in a very similar style, um, just in that it's shot on tripod and, and everything. And the other is kind of uh, just um, is the one where we've been following sort of the construction of a city and huh. this whole other thing going on there. And um, it's very we're well, not the construction of a city, but the way the way power uh, you know kind of seeps through a place. Um, yeah, and it, 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 it's probably more similar to just the 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 Wiseman type approach, where we're constantly we're shooting things in this. It's a it's in a Renaissance fair, so I'm shooting, oh, cool. um, you know, uh, all kinds of stuff, all kinds of just sort of sightseeing and people going about this, you know, life in this constructed environment, and then seeing the people who actively put it together and then seeing the sort of res- the, the community that exists year round where people just sort of continue in character and how the character kind of becomes themselves or something. Um, <laughs> anyway, but yeah, I, I'm constantly fascinated by this, this question of, you know, the performance part. And obviously <laughs> for Wiseman, his, his whole thing, which makes sense is so long as he does right by people and 
they see themselves in what he shot. He feels like he succeeded. And I think I'm after something maybe a little different, which is hmm. like, um, I take the, I wouldn't call any of the films I make representational. It's, it's, it's like, hmm. I want to go past, I want to push past that to get into this zone of maybe like, you know, hyper subjectivity and mm-hmm. where you can yeah. see yourself in the choice, you, you know, you put yourself in the position of the, the person you're watching kind of like you would in a fiction movie. For sure. Yeah. What, one, one of the, I think most quietly impressive scenes in some kind of heaven is with Barbara going to the parrot heads <laughs> uh, function, yeah. you know, and then just kind of getting stood up and it's, you know, you have all these cutaways that are kind of occupying her perspective, like looking at the guy she came with, dancing with somebody else, then back to her. And, you know, you I, I don't remember if it was in this scene or a later scene, but their closing shot. But the the you know, you're zooming out and she's kind of dancing alone, you know, and it's this visual representation of her interiority. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it's pure cinema, I think, you know, and, and that's something that really, you know, like we were talking about earlier, I think, I think connects your work to Weissman's. But, um, another thing that I think does is in this film, particularly in these, this trilogy of films, the leisure trilogy, we've been calling it that started with Central Park, I think applies to, but the structure of it, this sort of like carousel uh way that the film is arranged where we're hopping around kind of from you know in some kind of heaven it's club to club to club you know here it's enclosure to enclosure you know in central park we were going all over the place uh looking at different kinds of activities um but the way the way in which uh, the world of the film is built kind of uh, modularly i think you know we've uh, Nichols mosaic structure idea um, and the way that that can reveal ideology you know I think in in some kind of heaven it's super duper apparent you know the accumulation of all of these different activities like what and I mean people express it like explicitly too you know it's about recapturing a bygone era that may or may not have ever existed but it's where we grew where we grew up it's about enjoying yourself with the time you have left you know actually expressing yourself finding yourself you know in Central Park it's pretty clear too you know it's 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 about leisure and like uh, uh this idealistic idea of like uh public infrastructure and uh public good in zoo i think it's a bit harder to pinpoint you know um and i'm i'm wondering if you guys have thoughts about you know structure sure but but just the ideology as expressed through zoo the film you know mm-hmm. like like where where is the power located here and what what do they think is being achieved i guess because I, I you know just speaking for myself even though you know i think zoos are fine and and we should note i think um about the critique thing weissman said he's a fan of zoos and he goes to zoos whenever he travels so i think this is him you know being generally interested in learning about zoos um but what what you guys are thinking about you know how what what is the zoo saying because i think it's a bit you know there's this element of okay we need to keep the animals healthy and safe so we can continue to perpetuate our own existence 
is there is there much you find going on beyond um, that? Well, first, God bless uh, Wiseman for enjoying zoos because I always had the most <laughs> miserable time. Zoos. Like, just it's always hot and sticky and kids mm. and uh, it's miserable. But um, uh, I mean, there's a few ways uh, to to look at like where power is expressed. Um, I, I think that's part of the opening. Uh, beside, well. The, the real opening shot is the lion, which I think is funny because yeah. it's like uh, the MGM mm-hmm. lion, uh, another like play with, with fictional <laughs> sure, film. Yeah. But um, but the, the elephant training scene is expressly about power. Like it's 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 showing off power. Um, it's this woman going, I can get these animals who don't do this to do this. Um, but I think. What you're talking about more, Arlen, is uh, power between the the organization and the people that, you know, the public. Um, and we see a little bit of that in the boardroom of, like, what they're trying to, to you know, do. So we have $150,000, so it's a 300000 exhibit, and he is prepared to give us the balance of the 300000 we met with him. He doesn't plan to take the money back in any way. He is so enthusiastic about the Komodo dragon exhibit that he's prepared to do one of these uh, uh, mercenary raids and get up in a plane and go to Indonesia and kidnap a Komodo and fly it back to Miami. And I don't think he's kidding. We discouraged him. But uh, one of these Ross Perot commando raids, he's ready to go. And. Uh, if I thought he'd get away with it with the American authorities, I'd encourage him. But I don't, I don't think he... Uh, we're trying to hold him still. The, the good thing is the money's going to wait. Which also acts as like a financing scene the same way you would like finance a movie. But um, uh, I think it's all about amusement. And Barry Keith Grant talks about mm-hmm. this with this and, and Racetrack. I think the ideology is to create like kind of like they say in some kind of heaven for the villages, but to, to see themselves alongside Disneyland. Um, yeah. but for animals, uh, they want people to, to come there and, you know, experience things that they can't experience anything else. Um, and we see like, uh, with the, with one of my favorite scenes, the woman feeding the, the rabbit to the boa constrictor and the kid mm. like kind of coming. <laughs> we're close. Going back. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it is like this power, um, between the organization and the public, um, you know, that, this is going to to penetrate what we offer to you. Like you, you shouldn't, you don't come here. Like maybe you can watch this on PBS later, but like you don't come here to see that type of stuff. Like you're just here yeah. to, to experience the amusement. Yeah. It's interesting. I definitely, I, I, I feel like the, um, I feel like the futility of, of, of uh, being able to control nature. That's the thing that I took away from it. Even if it's, it, it sort of emerges more as like a theme in the last hour of it with the feral dog and animatronics. Yeah. The animatronics <laughs> that are amazing. But all, and, and, and even the, I guess just the openings, really the, the, the end of the first act, if you'd call it that with the, 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 the death of the rhino uh, and, you know, baby, um, and I feel like the, I mean, the thing I kind of, I love about it and I wish there was more of it uh, towards the back half, but I, I love the boardroom meeting at the end mm-hmm. and just the, the politics of, and the economy of, of, uh, yeah, all of these animals and what they, what their value is. And I can't help, but it's like you, there's a reaction shot on one guy after, 
after the first uh, guy with the glasses is talking about how the rhino died and they'd have to, you know, figure out a new way to have another baby. And it seems like the guy next to him is just kind of despondent. It's like maybe the, you know, they could have up, up to their price of admission or something. If you could see a, a, a baby rhino, you know, wandering around. And uh, that's really interesting to me too. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. It's interesting. I, I like that the movie can't be reduced to like a pro zoo or anti zoo or whatever sure. it yeah. is. If anything, I, you know, I, I felt like um, just cause primate, I feel like the people in the film are, are, um, trying to do their best but it's it's just like if you're not part of that culture it seems like they're engaging in really arcane ways of uh you know you just remember like the masturbation scene or whatever right um uh you know just things that seem a little bit uh off color maybe to general audiences in this film outside of the um autopsy and you know the, the gruesome the graphicness of the uh yeah the castration Mm -hmm. scene it's it all feels just what it is you know um or the boa eating the 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 dead uh rabbit i think i think um just thinking in relation to primate i think one of the key differences and again going to weissman's like admiration for zoos is i think the film really has like this this uh veneration for labor you know all the work that's required to do what the zoo does you know i think i think and i think he views it as like true labor uh whereas like you know primate maybe it was just kind of more like i don't know mad science except for the janitors we would see in the halls throughout the film but like the the difference as unnatural as these uh settings are you know and and as constructed as they are I think always in the back of our heads is, yeah, okay, it's not pleasant seeing a a rabbit get whacked on the head. But, um, you know, in nature, you know, the rabbit's going to not fare well either way. You know, in in nature, these zebu and deer that the feral dog attacks, you know, that's that's what happens, you know, like like and it's arguably less natural for them to be, you know, uh, caged away and protected in the way that the zoo does. Um, but again, this valuation of life and like which life has value to the institution. Um, but, but the, the really interesting thing I think is kind of like a near death through the labor of people who are, you know, we would imagine ostensibly, are like empathetic folk who care about life find themselves having to mitigate death more often Mm. than not. You know, it's, it's about uh, like pain management. It's about dealing with death uh, even though they're there to save lives and, you know, keep these animals looking like healthy and being healthy for public consumption um you know behind the scenes i guess this uh going back to marion bale's backstage front stage idea she talked about with the store like this is probably the most that we've gotten since the store this sort of behind the scenes element and it 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 starts off um i believe in the there's a scene with chimps in like this kind of brutalist looking concrete cage thing and they're getting hosed down and they're drinking from the hose but that's the first like kind of 
you know, non-aesthetic enclosure we are, we see. Everything else is the zoos or the animals, like, you know, they're the tigers in this, like, kind of, like, Southeast Asian-designed <laughs> landscape that they've made. Um, you know, the, the gorilla, of course, is out and about uh, beating its chest. But, yeah, we get to these these chimps and and they're just in this like concrete box basically getting hosed down and it it starts off this idea that carries on through the the python feeding scene but like Mm -hmm. you know what there's an active alighting of a good portion probably this the the majority of the labor that the zoo undertakes is hidden from public view it's like a very small sliver that they're like hey check this out you know yeah it's it's uh you're supposed to show up and it's supposed to be as close to nature as possible it's interesting too yeah that that, that out the elephants i remember when they're getting cleaned uh you know with the, the hoses and stuff and there's that close-up of the elephant the leg yeah, yeah. The, the chain um i thought about that too because it's an interesting scene where it's it, he's reminding us that I don't know. It, it it seems like they're they're so peaceful, at least, or just resigned, maybe to, um, you know, getting cleaned up on a hot day. But they also have no choice mm-hmm. um, to, to do so. And so, yeah, I don't know. And there's that. There's that. Uh, I feel like throughout it, it feels like a mosaic of just our, to me, just the attempt to control things that we um, that we can't control. If, I, if you were to make a narrative movie out of it, I feel like the whole the idea of the, the rhino death at, at the top, it's great, you know. And I, I have a friend right now who's working on a, he's uh, like a comic about uh, zoos, and um, I can only imagine the amount of, uh, you know, how awesome of a, of a setting it is. And just for any of these people, I mean, I've been trying to shoot at a zoo actually for this film, and uh just keep thinking about like someone having kind of an outer body experience, looking at the caged creature, you know, and however that manifests in their life that, you know, uh, you know, kind of imprisoned by choices they've made or something, mm-hmm. but maybe it's that the heavy handed way to do things. It's not the, <laughs> the unwise man way, you know, the unwise way. Um, well, I think I think Weissman always does use these institutions as a springboard to, uh, you know, examine other kinds of power relations within, you know, broader society. And I think, you know, it it's hard to watch this whole two hour thing and not think about uh, are we the ones in cages? You know? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Like, like, like there, you know, all the shots of the other side of the fence, right? The guy, you know, beating his chest like a gorilla, <laughs> you know, like just, just the people kind of guffawing at watching a rhino emerge from the pool or whatever. But, you know, it's, it's a bit like college stoner, uh, thought, thought line, but, but I mean, you know, thinking about, well, like I was reminded of, of the ending of blind where it's this cut mm-hmm. to night and everything's dark. And it's like, it's like, we are all meant to navigate this world that wasn't built with us in mind necessarily, mm-hmm. you know, even if we're sighted or not, you know, in zoo, what are the ways 
that similar ideas are perhaps being explored, like the ways in which maybe not something as as basic as just like, you know, are humans being controlled and in, uh, encaged, which we know from Weissman talking about primate is an interest of his. That was his rationale for doing that film is like, can this be used for like social control on humans, basically? Mm. Um, but like, like what, yeah, what are the elements here that we, I guess in our own lives, accept, you know, contextualization and curation. And I guess one of the, one of the examples is the documentary crew we've already talked about or the news, mm. uh, segment, on the, <laughs> oh, yeah, I love that. the dental cleaning, right? Like, like just the way things are framed, you know, and this starts, Right off, you know, talking about the lion we see to start, you know, for the first few minutes, we could be forgiven for thinking this is like a standard Davy Nat Geo joint, right? Because all we're seeing is close-ups of animals, you know, we don't really have the context yet. And then we see Miami Metropolitan Zoo, you know, elephant show sign or whatever, and like, you know, things snap into focus more. Um, but yeah, just just thinking about how... You know, to me, if we're extending the examination of Miami Metro Zoo in zoo beyond the walls of the actual institution, I think I think it's it's about, um, yeah, just being being led to look beyond contextual framing devices and just constantly ask, you know, what's what's being hidden from view uh, and who does it serve uh, to hide it? Mm. Sure, that makes sense yeah. to me. Sign me up. <laughs> I like I like that reading. Um, before uh, before we let you go, Lance, I wanted to ask what your. I usually ask this up top, but but um, we uh, just started talking. Um, what was your introduction to to Wiseman's work? The first film I saw of his was Belfast, Maine. The epic. Uh, how long is it? Four, Four hours. hours. Yeah. Yeah, I watched it. Um, I I I I feel very uh, just privileged to have you know been able to see the movie. I saw it in sixteen mil, you know, at at the uh, film archive in, nice. at Harvard, and it was a amazing experience. Um, and there's a lot of things I still think about in that movie, and probably uh, somehow maybe subconsciously still find you know finds my way into finds its way into my, my stuff. Um, but I, I mean, yeah, I just, I, 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 it's funny. I think like every project I start off with, I kind of try and take the, the Wiseman methodology and, and, you know, I start with the place and then I, it's, it's, uh, like, I think I accidentally sort of do it where I, where I try just following a bunch of different things and seeing if it works without a, you know, clear cut narrative driver that sets the story into motion and um, every time I'm always like, I can't do this. And I should stop trying to be uh, like anyone else other than myself. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and so there's, there's certain things that probably uh, I borrow from him. But, um, but yeah, Belfast okay. Maine was the first. And then I saw high school and then Tita Cut Follies. And then, um, uh, and then there was then Zoo. And I saw primates sometime else. I forget when, but yeah, I've always wanted to see model and racetrack and domestic violence and you yeah, know, yeah. blind. Have you seen uh, Aspen? 
No. The film before this? Okay, that that was the one when when we first reached out, I almost expected you to pick because wow. it was the one that I kind of draw a straight line to some kind of heaven about almost. Um, but yeah, definitely check out Aspen. Yeah. So what what is the, is there, um, as our Florida correspondent, um, <laughs> what, what does, what is the significance of Florida to, to something like Zoo? I, I mean, I think it's, 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 I do think the, um, the, the theming or the attempts to like, you know, um, design things around nature. I think that's sort of, mm. I mean, it's kind of the history of everything, I guess, every community built environment in general, but I feel like Florida, it's, uh, is, is very unique in that it's, it's kind of overgrown, you know, even in the Everglades, it's just like the. I don't know. We've done so much to the place to try and keep it going, but also, you know, we spray pesticides and herbicides over everything to try and keep certain animal populations from growing more. And, uh, yeah, we create these weird mutations and, um, and we start fucking it up. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I mean, it's, yeah, it's yeah. funny to me that that's a uh, Wiseman it was just the first place that Wiseman chose. Yeah, yeah. But I, I do, I do see, um, yeah, I see. I, I I see little things here and there. I mean, even just the 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 dog, you know, coming in the feral dog coming in and killing different things. I mean, and then someone I think there's someone makes a mention of how uh, they abandoned the the dog and right there's there's some someone that talked about how they just uh, in case you want a press release, this is a real good educational thing if you um, don't mind a little negative publicity. I mean, this is. This is people letting their dogs roam and feral dogs and uh, what the hell they do to the place. That feels like another very specific Florida thing where people just let their pets go rampant in, hmm. um, in the Everglades. That's how the whole python problem started. Uh, presume, the, 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 I, the, there's a lot of stories around how that happened, but one of them was that the Jurassic Park came out and there was a whole kind of uh, reptile craze and so many people started buying them and they bought pythons and didn't know what to do with them. And uh, they let them loose into the Everglades. And then that started this like vicious cycle of uh, repopulation. And then, you know, now they're like the, the number one, the apex predator in the, uh, <laughs> in the Everglades. Interesting. Now in yeah. I remember the, the feral dog scene. It yeah. seemed, I mean, it seems like they're still at the zoo, but it is like totally wild and overgrown looking. And they're like wading through these like chest high reeds, you know, mm-hmm. hunting yeah. this dog down. Also, they didn't get one of the dogs. Yeah. Are they, are yeah, they worried yeah. about the other dog? <laughs> the other dog to this day haunts the yeah. Miami yeah. Zoo. I think yeah. I remember too from the, when we just talked to Davey, that Secret Life of Cats movie, didn't, uh-huh. wasn't there a whole segment about like people letting feral cats roam yeah, yeah. crazy in Miami? Uh, yeah, very funny. Um, that makes sense, I guess. Like all this, like trying to control this place, like for the state that has you know uh, Disney, uh, you know, which is that. Um, but yeah. Anyway. Cool. I'd love for him to do a Disney film. I mean, I'm sure it's probably <laughs> yeah. possible. But uh, yeah. right. what's his new That'd film about? Do you, do you know? It's a, it's or... about this uh, um, this full service like restaurant hotel in uh, the French countryside. It's oh. like outside Lyon. It's like a three bit. three Michelin star like place. Um, so it's amazing. Good for him. 
Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> it's so cool that it's, you know, just, uh, yeah, the way he shoots these movies continuously, it's amazing. On, on this, uh, this, this thing I was reading, The Sketch of a Life, he says it's usually like four to six weeks uh, continuously mm-hmm. uh, shooting. And um, I envy him because I feel like every fucking project I work on, it takes like three <laughs> and a half years of shooting before it's actually, <laughs> I feel like we reach a place where it's done. But um, anyway... Well, I look uh, forward. Well, thank you for yeah, thank you for having me on. This is so nice to chat with you guys. I, yeah. I look forward yeah. to uh, to the project that you teased so much of. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks, yeah, man. yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. Take care. Our pleasure. Okay. See ya. See ya. Yeah, I would say myself, they say chimpanzees are closer related to human beings than they are related to gorillas. So we're the closest relation to your chimpanzees and especially the pygmy chimpanzee, which is known as a bonobo. Uh, they're highly intelligent. And if you just watch a group of chimpanzees in a zoo and compare them to what a bunch of gorillas would do, the chimps are more gregarious, they're laughing, they're, they're trying to, they do more in like the human beings because they're mimicking us. They're laid back. They're just introverted. They can care less. And of course, you know the the uh, gorilla in the California Coco that the uh, Francine Patterson is studying. She's taught them sign language, and and of course the chimps know sign language. But she's been with this gorilla for about 16 years, and she what her, she wanted to do was teach the gorilla sign language, hopefully breed with another gorilla. And what they wanted to do is see is if would they teach their offspring sign language. But unfortunately, they've they haven't bred. No. But it would be interesting to see, you know, if they did teach their young, because they sign to them, they speak to them, and everything they do is sign or, or the spoken word, and they've actually seen gorillas looking at picture books and signing to themselves the pictures they see in a book. 